only am I the highest ranking executive in the NWO, I'm the highest ranking executive in WCW. What a wonderful country. So here's the deal. Listen up in the back. Back in the locker room. Because you guys in WCW have 30 days from right now to convert your WCW contracts to NWO contracts. Does he mean announcement? We are going to build a dynasty. I don't know. You got it. That's the deal. 30 days from right now, because at 30 days in one minute, you're either with us or you're against us. I've been watching you all night. Cause everything about you, it's alright. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to November of 1996 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Four volumes for you this month. In Volume 1, we look at the WWF and Survivor Series. Volume 3, we go to ECW looking at November to remember. And Volume 4, we step away from wrestling. Looking at the big fight, Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. We're here for Volume number 2 looking at WCW including World War 3. I'm being joined first by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, hello. Hello, Bob. Uh, welcome back to Wayne and our friend from over the Atlantic, or one of, uh, Eric Lanstrom. Eric, hello. Hi, Bob. Uh, Eric, uh, kicks off with the news. Sure thing. Eric Bischoff became the latest name to join the NWO, laying down the challenge to WCW's roster that they have 30 days to sign over their contracts to NWO contracts. The move, which purely seems to be one to get Bischoff on commentary during the planned NWO hour of Nitro, the first one, that runs right up against the now-moved Monday Night Raw. Bischoff's involvement with the group so far has largely been stoking the fire in the Hollywood Hogan and Roddy Piper feud, which will be the main event of Starcade next month. It's also said that Bischoff wanted an excuse to hang out with his friends in the group in public without breaking kayfabe. Mr. Perfect is reportedly on his way to WCW, having effectively blindsided the WWF, having turned down the opportunity to return to the ring. He said that the WWF went behind Hennig's back and potentially cost him a six-figure lump sum from his Lloyds of London insurance policy. Beyond that, it simply said Hennig's decision is one out of revenge and that he does plan to return to the ring when he arrives in Atlanta. The WWF did manage to stop a rumoured appearance by Perfect on Nitro in November. It's much more likely that he'll debut early next year when his WWF contract expires. 
World War III followed WCW's recent pattern of strong undercards followed by an absolute disaster, an absolute disaster of a main event. The main event on this occasion was the, 60, the second 60-man battle royal, which from an on-screen perspective was almost a non-event given WCW's insistence on having a three-way split screen. Still, it ended with Lex Luger, on his own, rallying against four members of the NW before Giant eliminated both Luger and Kevin Nash to win the match and a future world title shot. There were wins for Ultimate Dragon, Chris Jericho, The Giant, Harlem Heat, Dean Malenko, and The Outsiders. The future of Randy Savage is still unclear, but it seems less and less likely that he will return to the WWF as they don't feel he's worth what they have to pay to get him. WCW have added a main event caliber dark match to the end of Nitro tapings so that all the fans have something to stick around for. Along with NWO Monday Nitro, a new pay-per-view in January slated to be an NWO pay-per-view. Plans for Roddy Piper call for the match next month to be a non-title match, which Piper would win, setting up a title match in February. Much like The Outsiders, it's said that one of the reasons for Sting's change in character is due to him being well ahead of schedule on contracted house show appearances. Mean Gene Okerlund is back, on television, they said he'd been on a long vacation. Contrary to what we said previously, he will be doing hotline duties again, as numbers dropped significantly without him plugging his one. And a quick reminder before we move on that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. You can get early access to shows like this and others, or if you just want to say thank you for our contribution to your lives on a monthly basis, looking back at wrestling from the mid-90s, you can find all the information about that on our website on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs or in the podcast description. And on to the ratings for the month. Four more wins for Nitro in the Monday Night Rating, specifically important due to Raw now being up against the first hour of Nitro rather than the second, or specifically as Raw's the first show went on at 7.57 to try and get a three-minute jump on Nitro. The first day of the move, Raw did a 2.3 to Nitro's 3.4 on November the 4th. Uh, that was the Austin Pillman angle that we would have detailed in Volume 1. On November the 11th, Nitro did a 3.7 to Raw's 2.5. On November the 18th, the night after Survivor Series, Raw dropped to a 2.4 and Nitro a 3.2. On November the 25th, Raw did a 2.1 to Nitro's 3.1. It will come as a little surprise, but WCW are now front-loading Nitro, obviously the hour of the snap against Raw. And while they are up against each other, the ratings are closer, but Nitro is still a little bit ahead. Um, but, interestingly enough, on November 11th, Nitro finished on a 4.4 rating, having started two hours previously with a 2.7. And the quarter hour right after Raw went off the air jumped from a 3.2 to a 3.9, just to give you a bit of an idea of how those things are going. Welcome back to Night Draw after an extended vacation. Mean Gene Okerlund. Gene, good to have you back. Tony, great to be back. I must owe you money. Diamond Dallas Page. It looks to me, now I've been sitting back watching here for the last few weeks, and it looks to me, don't call me stupid either, but it looks to me like you're being courted by the NWO. What are you talking about? Can, can we go back and take a look what has happened recently here on WCW Monday Nitro? I, I want to just refresh some memories. It certainly looks to me like Hall and Nash, and we know about how far you all go back. Well, everybody knows that Nash and Hall, they both, I was affiliated with them a while ago. Here they are helping you for crying out loud. They're going after one of your opponents. It is clear as day to me. And this capacity crowd here in St. Petersburg tonight. First of all, let's get something straight, Gene. 
DDP doesn't need anybody helping him in the ring today. Because anybody makes one mistake, that's all it takes. Bang! Diamond cutter. All right, you have now, wait a second. You asked me about Hall and Nash. Yeah, I used to manage Scott Hall, and I used to tag team with Kevin Nash. But that does not make them in a position to be coming into my... Hey, well, wait a minute here. Gentlemen, I, I think you have your own show. You don't need our time here, certainly. What were you going to say, DDP? What I said was it doesn't put them in a position to be getting in my matches. Are you courting this, man? Hey, yo, Paige. Forget about the past. What you need to think about is the present and the future. Here's your chance to jump on board the Black and White Express. Come on in for the big win, because you, my friend, can be NWO for life. What about that? Pretty attractive offer, some would think, these days. So let me get this straight. You got, uh, you got like seven guys now. I'm number eight, right? Number, number eight? Number eight. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Eight. You don't get it. You obviously don't get it. Everybody, hey, we could have came to you a lot earlier, but we didn't, and there's reasons. Everybody knows that professional wrestling is as political as it gets. And everybody knows that two doors down, shaking and having a party, is your buddy, Eric Bischoff. He lives two houses down from you. You go in there, man. You go in there. Are you trying to tell me I don't deserve everything I'm getting? Is that what you're all about, man? You don't think I didn't bust my butt every day down at that power plant? Wait, wait a minute, guys. Are we missing something here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't get it. Don't get upset. We're not out here trying to, to, to disrespect you in any way. We were looking out for you. Hey, we knew. We came in here two desperados, bro. We came in here by ourselves. Yeah, Hollywood Hogan jumped on with us, but it took us a lot to convince him, and that shook up the wrestling world. And with the Hulkster, hey, we knew we were going to take this place over. But we couldn't come to you, man. You know we're buddies. We couldn't come to you with we're the political... We for you, man. We were looking out for you. See number four, number five, but number five and number eight. I mean, that's like totally this. Gentlemen, obviously, you don't get it. You're never gonna get it. We open with an arena-wide shot showing Sting in the rafters and an intrigued NWO looking on. Tony Schiavone shows the new WCW Women's Title, which will be a prize on offer in the upcoming tournament. And Larry Zbysko then builds up Roddy Piper. Mark Bagwell has now dropped Marcus Alexander and gets a lengthy win over Brad Armstrong. Diamond Dallas and Ice Train go at it, and the Outsiders are looking on from the stands. Nick Patrick averts his attention, letting Hall and Nash attack Ice Train, and Paige wins it with a diamond cutter. Marcus Bagwell leads out Scotty Riggs to face Dean Malenko. A bit of dissension between the American males lets Malenko get the three. So far, the males have been on screen for almost half of the first hour, and you get to hear their theme twice. We get insight into the Sullivan Benoit situation before the Crippler, accompanied by a woman, beats Hector Guerrero. Last month's Giant Jarrett promo airs as we lead into hour number two. Jarrett gets some more mic time, building himself, Flair and Piper, decrying Sting as the man in black looks on. 
Bobby Heenan joins Shivoli and Mike Tanay. Eric Bischoff is off seeing Hot Rod to try and sign Piper versus Hogan. Reina Yabuki faces Medusa in the first round of the women's title tournament. Medusa gets the win with a bridging German suplex. VK, or now simply Mr. Wall Street, goes down to Chris Jericho, Lionheart winning with a small package. Jericho then goes at it with Nick Patrick and his legal counsel. Teddy Long comes out for backup. Strangely, the lawyer gets the best lines in. We get a rematch of Booker T and Lex Luger after last month's count-out finish when Luger chased after Sting. Mirroring Sid in the WWF, the crowd are mad for Lex. An inadvertent distraction from the Colonel lets Luger get the win. We hear from Eric Bischoff by telephone who says Piper is up for facing Hogan, but its management is another story. We then again see their promo from last month's pay-per-view. Hogan is out to talk about the sissy in the skirt and how Hollywood is WCW's master, including a cheeky plug for his new movie. Tony and Larry kick off with some conjecture over Sting's mindset. We see last week's Jarrett Horseman promo. Bizarrely, where Double J builds the faction, they bury him. Then he continues to build them. Benoit's out with woman. Jarrett out with fireworks. Solomon has another sweet nothing soundbite as we start. A crowd of eight in the front row have individually lettered NWO for life shirts. Jarrett suplexes Benoit to the outside and out of nowhere Sting attacks Jarrett for the DQ win. Woman tries to make Benoit help up Jarrett. He does by the hair. After commercial, a fan passes Tony a letter asking to roll footage from 1992. Instead, we cut to a Ric Flair rehab video focused on the fabled Dr. Andrews out of Birmingham, Alabama. In round two of the women's title tournament, Malia Hasaka faces Zero, who gets a quick win to the delight of Sonny Ono. Mean Gene's back and he's interviewing Dime Dallas Page in a glorious bulldog emblazoned t-shirt. Page acknowledges his diamond mine and his history with Hall and Nash. The outsiders extend an invite to Page, who takes offence at only being approached now and not before. Rey Mysterio Jr. and Cicla Play get some decent time in front of both Ono and Ultimo Dragon at ringside and Malenko and Psychosis in the aisle. Mysterio wing with a Frankensteiner sitting down for the pin. Tony plugs WCW.Wrestling.com, you close I suppose, as the NWO and their picket line come out. Hall then promotes the NWO's website and Nash says they want to trade on Mondays for Saturdays. Bischoff introduces our number two and Flash Norton takes on Lex Luger. Lex manages to get Norton in the rack for the win. Post-match, Luger shows he's learned to cut a promo saying how far the NWO has come and how far Sting seems to have gone. The amazing French Canadians come out to face Harlem Heat. Saturday night highlights show the Heat cut ties with Parker, who's now with Jacques and Carl. Backstage, the Nasties get knocked back from entering the arena. In WCW fashion, the cut to the back misses the tag team finish, but it was all worth it as seemingly Ed Leslie is now in the picture. Yikes. Jericho and Conan go at it. Nick Patrick throwing it out after Jericho gets launched into him by Conan. Bischoff again promises to get to the bottom of it. Funnily enough, we're still waiting. Straight back, we get another rush job with Juventud Guerrero taking on the furriest man in South America in Miguel Perez. A sick bump to the outside where Hoovy goes for a hurricane runner from the guardrail and gets powerbombed to the floor. Some no-selling later, Guerrero misses a 450 splash and Perez gets the win. Both trying their best to get their 10-pound of shit into a 5-pound bag. Mang and Barbarian beat the American males as Bagwell and Riggs' relationship continues to dwindle. Jimmy Hart then calls for the face of fear to get their rightful title shot. 
We then cut to the fabled 1992 footage from our number one, and it's fucking Roddy Piper singing. Hot Roll channels his inner Jason Donovan in perhaps the strangest segment of the year. Hogan comes out for his usual end-of-night spotlight promo. Miss Elizabeth is dressed up in a Santa dress to promote Hogan's new movie. He slates Piper and blows the NWO's own before posing. On November the 18th, we get a cold open with the outsiders standing tall in the ring with steel chairs. The nasties and high voltage are already laid out. No commentary at this point as Hall and Nash take the mics and call out the face of fear. Cue a backstage brawl and we cut to commercial. After the break, Tony walks out and leaves Larry uh, for not defending him. La Parker debuts against Juventud Guerrera. Thankfully, Mike Tanay bails out as Abisco and La Parker wins. Next, Malenko defends against Ultimate Dragon, but it ends up with a show favourite, an over-the-top rope DQ. They never do die out. The Colonels went from a southern dandy to a French legionnaire as his American, amazing French-Canadians beat a tense American males. Today successfully reads out WCWWrestling.com, which shows Pittsburgh's radio's Mark Madden, and strangely still, the Ross Report. The first hour main event sees Lex Luger beat Hugh Morris with a torture act, obviously worth remembering these days, and now Raw's up against the first hour of Nitro, they're generally front-loading these shows. A post-match interview with Lex Luger gets interrupted by a bat-carrying sting, Luger gets handed the baseball bat, and Gene leaves us for hour number two. Hogan comes out flanked by trillionaire Ted and vicious Vincent to make Bischoff say Piper's running scared. Dime Dallas gets interviewed, cut by the outsiders, Nash again sewing his knack for going off script when, when a script really wouldn't hurt. Jeff Jarrett and Bobby Eaton have a match, Jarrett winning with a figure four leg lock as Ric Flair comes out and looks like he's got his Christmas jumper a month early. Jarrett ducks a question about Sting and cuts his weekly come together promo. Flair shows him how to do it with Sting looking on high in the arena. Big Bubba gets a quick win over Jim Powers. Lee Marshall phones in his weekly one man Nitro party and thankfully we get to Benoit versus Guerrero. The two get a good amount of time and go back and forward. After an in-ring masterclass, woman tries to distract Eddie from the top. It works and Benoit reverses a Hurricane Rana into a pin and gets the three. Bischoff takes the mic in an in-ring and apologises for giving in to Hogan earlier. The bagpipes cut him off short and Piper arrives. He talks about the lies being told and questions Bischoff about if he really tried to see him last week. As he calls Bischoff a piece of shit, the NWO come out, jump Piper and Bischoff and Hogan embrace. Cops fill the ring, the crowd launched trash and Piper says next week he'll have a contract for him and Baldy. Mike Tanay wonderfully makes the call. I don't even know if we're on air. I've had enough. We'll see you next week. Way to plug the pay-per-view, Mike. First of all, how you doing? Having a nice time? I'm sorry? I've met better. You've had better? <laughs> Such a great guy. <laughs> so you, you flew all the way to Portland... To get this fight, you talk to my managers to get this fight. <laughs> What'd you fight? First class coach, how'd you fly? First class coach, what was it? First class coach, how'd you fly? Uh, what airlines, coach? What airlines? I don't... <laughs> you died. And you come on up to my ranch. When you come up to my ranch, tell me, is the road crooked or is the road straight? Tell me, is the road crooked? I don't or... remember. I don't remember. Tell me something. You, you piece of shit, you are... 
Oh. Now, now that everybody realizes who everybody's working for, I mean, my God, this guy here was the foundation of the WCW. Now, he works for the NWO. I'll tell you what, stand him up, but watch him. Watch him real close. Hey, you know something, Piper? You're a loser fighting a losing battle. You have never been anything in the wrestling business. And until you wrestled me, Piper, nobody even knew your name. Now, Rowdy Roddy Piper is such a coward, he won't even sign a contract to wrestle me. And since you won't get in the ring with me, Piper, you will never be anything, my man. I think it's time to teach you a little respect, Piper. And we come back and we'll start straight off with the pay-per-view. Eric, you can kick us off with the results. Sure. Ultimate Dragon with Sonny Ono defeated Rey Mysterio Jr. in a singles match for the J-Crown Championship in 1348. Chris Jericho defeated Nick Patrick in a one-arm tied-behind-my-back match in 802. The Giant defeated Jeff Jarrett in a singles match in 605. Harlem Heat with Sister Sherry defeated the amazing French Canadians with Colonel Parker in 914. Because the Heat won the match, Sherry got five minutes alone with Parker. However, she won the match by countout in only 130. Dean Malenko defeated Psychosis for the Cruiserweight Champion in a match for the Cruiserweight Championship at 1433. The Outsiders defeated the Faces of Fear and the Nasty Boys in a triangle match uh, for the WCW World Tag Team Championship in 1608. And the Giant won the 60-man World War III Battle Royal by last eliminating Lex Luger. Uh, the competitors in the World War III match were as follows. Arn Anderson, Marcus Bagwell, The Barbarian, Chris Benoit, Big Bubba Rogers, Jack Boot, Bunkhouse Buck, Cyclope, Disco Inferno, Jim Duggan, Bobby Eaton, Mike Enos, Galaxy, The Giant, Joe Gomez, Jimmy Del Rey, Johnny Grunge, Juventud Guerrera, Eddie Guerrero, Scott Hall, Prince Ayakea, Ice Train, Mr. JL, Jeff Jarrett, Chris Jericho, Kenny Chaos, Conan, Lex Luger, Dean Malenko, Steve McMichael, Meng, Rey Mysterio Jr., Hugh Morris, Kevin Nash, Scott Norton, Carl Olette, Diamond Dallas Page, LaParca, Sergeant Craig Pittman, Jim Powers, Robbie Rage, Stevie Ray, Lord Stephen Regal, The Renegade, Scotty Riggs, Roadblock, Jacques Rougeau, Tony Rumble, Mark Starr, Rick Steiner, Ron Studd, The Taskmaster, Six, Booker T., Squire David Taylor, Ultimo Dragon, Biano Four, Michael Wall Street, Pez Watley, and Alex Wright. 
as always, an incredible effort. I don't think it's kind of a rite of passage on this show when new people come <laughs> on and we force them to read out a long list of names. Wayne, what do you think of this show? Um, I thought it was a, a solid undercard that quickly went downhill. Um, but again, goes to show that uh, gimmick matches, uh, gimmick main event matches, whether it's War Games, World War Three, or what we saw at Uncensored that not that long ago, just goes to show that WCW can't, uh, uh, can't put them on. Eric. Uh, solid show from an objective standpoint. A lot of good uh, cruiserweight action. Dragon and Ray did, did what they do do well. I found this show, though, completely uh, unmemorable. I didn't think it was a necessary show at all. And, and personally, uh, Bob, I'm not a big fan of the cruiserweight style, so there wasn't there just wasn't a lot for me on this match, or on this card. No, the, it, it's not a great sign when the two matches I enjoyed the most, excluding the main event, because that's got enough things wrong with it. The two matches I enjoyed the most are probably the two worst matches on the show, um, in that I had enough issues with the Cruiserweight stuff, as, as we'll get to, um, where I don't think they worked. Um, the main event, from an execution standpoint, was a disaster, and from a booking standpoint, was probably even worse. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll get to that. I, I think probably best uh, as we get to it. Um, we're in Norfolk, Virginia, and Dusty Rose and Bobby Heenan join Tony on the call. We open up with Rey Mysterio Jr. versus the Ultimate Dragon with Sonny Ono for the J Crown Championship. Uh, J Crown is basically just Ultimate Dragon having a lot of title belts. Um, like eight. He only carried about six out there because one of them, funnily enough, was the old WWF lightweight championship and they weren't going to put that on television. Um, but yeah, a little bit strange. Anyway, um, he's defending them tonight for what that's worth. Uh, we're in the top left of the three rings. Dragon starts with a double arm lock. Mysterio counters and then goes for the leg. Dragon counters back into an arm lock. We get a series of unnecessary flippy stuff. We end with two missed kicks and a double kip-up. Mysterio ends up on the apron. Dragon hits a springboard drop kick off of the second rope, sending him to the floor. Mysterio comes off of the ropes and Dragon just throws him in the air. Dragon catches Mysterio into an airplane spin before dropping him onto his back. Dragon hits a power bomb, holds on, then sends Mysterio the other way, dropping him on the top rope. We get a big swing. Dragon falls on his backside, which elicits a pop from the crowd. Dragon hits a brain buster, two, a small package, another two, a jumping tombstone, another two. We spill to the outside, another tombstone pile driver, and a slingshot splash from the ring to the floor from Dragon. It's been all Dragon this match. I'm a big, big fan of Sony Ono fanning Dragon as he's on the floor on the outside with a fan. We go to the top, Dragon hits a Frankensteiner for a two. Can't remember the last offensive move Mysterio got in. A running sit-out powerbomb, only a two. Mysterio rallies, hits a springboard moonsault, misses, and nearly wins with a two. Mysterio sends Dragon to the outside, then hits a springboard plancher. We get an exchange of pins in the ring. Mysterio does a cartwheel into a victory roll for a two. Mysterio goes on the apron, jumps onto Dragon's shoulders, who catches him, turns around, bounces him off the top rope, and then hits a sit-out powerbomb, and Dragon picks up the win for the three. Wayne, what do you think of this? I thought it was a very enjoyable opener. Um, admittedly, it was you know it was just a glorified squash match for uh, for Dragon. Um, but you know I was I was very impressed with uh, with Ultimate Dragon as well. But I suppose that's what that's what happens when it's uh, it's a showcase match for him. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm going into it now looking forward to, to watching Malenko and, and Dragon match up. You know, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that. Um, you know, it was a, it was a good finish, but, um, it was, a, it was, you know, as much as I enjoyed it, it did feel a bit strange to, to see Rey Mysterio built up over these last few months being a, being a squash match like that. Well, it was in my memory that you're not a big fan of the, the cruiserweight style. You'd be correct. Well, yeah, yeah, me, yeah both, that's mostly true, yeah. Yeah, me, me, me too. And this match was a perfect uh, reason uh, why I am just not a big fan of this, this style. Uh, cruiserweight style, to me, tests the, the bounds of suspension of disbelief uh, as much as you can in, in wrestling. When you go through your moves, uh, your, your match summary, I mean, Dragon hit multiple tombstone pile drivers, running power bombs. There was a dragon suplex where Ray landed square on the crown of his head, all two counts. And then the end of the match comes with another just random power bomb. I get that these matches are exciting, uh, and, and you know, truly these guys these guys did put together a pretty good a pretty good match for what it was. But you know, to me, when the moves in psychology don't matter, uh, I don't care. And so, objectively, a good match, but not, not for me. Yeah, I don't think it was the worst cruiserweight match on the card. Let's say that. Um... But yeah, my my big issue with this match was that you know I actually kind of think it kind of helped that Dragon was controlling the match in that it meant it was a bit more physical and a bit less high flying than we see from Mysterio. I just didn't understand why Dragon just beat fuck out of him for about ninety percent of the match, and then Mysterio just randomly decided to stop selling. It was really really odd. Like well, that's there was the cruiserweights. That's the cruiserweights, right? Yeah, that is the style, but like the style's meant to be a bit more back and forth, isn't it? Like Dragon just beat the piss out of him, and then Mysterio just got up and started flying around like nothing happened. And I'm thinking, well, Ray, that might be the cruiserweight style that you're used to, but we're in North America now. I just don't think this works. We're in America now on American television. Obviously, Mexico is sort of in North America as well depending on your, let's not get into some geographical discussions. But Rey Mysterio was on the back foot for most of this match, and there was no rally, there was no like big moment where Dragon crashed and burned and then Mysterio kind of rallied into the match. He just got up and carried on. It was like, that was a bit weird. And yeah, like, I, I, I Eric, do you, do you agree with the sentiment that Wayne made, that it was a bit odd that Mysterio's been on television for six, seven months, or it feels like that now, when he basically just got hammered. Absolutely. I understand, you know, you want to build up Dragon, and he's got all these belts, and he's an international star, and Ray's still, you know, relatively uh, new to the scene, at least as far as North American wrestling fans uh, are, are, are concerned, or at least American wrestling fans are. Uh, yeah, it was it was just kind of an oddly laid-out match. You know, a 50-50 uh, deal where where Dragon wins, fine. Uh, you know, Ray's Ray's got plenty of, of losses in him to maintain his credibility, but this was just a beatdown. It didn't make sense to me. Wayne, what do you think of the um, the idea that Mysterio was was kind of not selling enough or kind of came back a bit too well? Well, we, we've seen it all before. We, uh, I mean, you had a you had a big review about, or a big rant, should I say, about it when uh, when he first up against Malenko for the uh, on the pay per view. A few months ago, I can't remember which one it was, Bash at the Beach, something like that. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's something that he needs to uh, to have a look at. But I think you covered it off really well last time. You know, if it's whether it's Ultimate Dragon or whether it's Dimalenko, if there's another cruiserweight in there that's not selling for you, just make them sell for real. <laughs> no. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it was Jeff who said that. that if uh, if the cru- if the cruiserweight's not doing what you want him to do, then just just take the selling aspects away and just start hurting him a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fine match, as I say. You know, as as I kind of said a lot this year. You know, this rather I'd rather take this than the openers we were getting two years ago. Let's say that. But you yes. know, it creates a different set of problems. But at least I can be wowed by the athleticism, even anything else. Meiji in Oakland tells us all about WCW's new website and how up to 8,000 slots are available, I think, for people to listen to the show as it's going on. I can't quite work out why he's telling that to us, the pay-per-view audience, that have already bought the show, but apparently now we're on pay-per-view, he's going to tell us that you can go on their website and listen to the show rather than watch it whatever that's worth. Here's Darren Dallas Page. Gene pushes him about the NWO's advances in Eric Bischoff. He doesn't care what's going on with Bischoff. All things considered, this was a shockingly good promo from Page. Uh, Eric, just quickly on Page, I think we'll, we'll probably discuss him at various points during the show. Um, but his improvement, I think, is is stark enough across the board in terms of popularity, in terms of in-ring work. But his promos have come along, and they're kind of almost as a surprise package. Yeah, he's come along uh, amazingly, maybe more than anybody else in in WCW in the last uh, couple of years, and, and for Paige in the last six months, he's he's a credible challenger to the NWO uh, now. If he decides, or if they don't put him in that group, and, and you know, he'll cover the Nitros, and after the last Nitro of the month after this show, it uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be you know headed to the NWO. So if they're working to build him as a credible challenger. Uh, to that faction, I think they're doing an absolutely wonderful job, and Paige has really come along. It's it's shocking that a guy, and what is he in his late thirties now, uh, learning on the fly? Uh, but he's he's one of the best WCW has to offer these days. What? Yeah, I think it's safe to say that we are looking at the most improved wrestler of uh, of the year, and uh, that was that the award that he was that he got honorable mention for at uh, the end of year awards for 95 that sounds sounds about right well, i think we're looking at a surefire winner for for 96 uh, him and lex luger for the, for this year but like you said his his promo work has uh, has come on leaps and bounds and uh, you know from uh, from where he was with max muscle uh, he's come a long way oh boy just had just had flashbacks of all of that. Let's let's move on. Uh, the, the the dome in Norfolk, Virginia, looks fantastic. It really should be said. I was I was the the yeah. You know, I am a bit of a sucker for good architecture, and this building was visually very impressive throughout the show. Just thought I'd bring that up. We've got next to Nick Patrick versus Jericho with Teddy Long uh, in a match slightly contrary to what Eric said at the start of the show, where Jericho will have one arm tied behind his back, not both of them. That will be a, a t- t- tad unfair on Patrick already. Uh, Patrick walks out, and in my notes I've got, what the fuck does Patrick look like? He's wearing his refereeing shirt, he's got sunglasses on, and then he's got a predominantly black with white kind of panelling robe on. He looks spectacular. Uh, he he was giving it large with his music on the way out. Um, for those counting, we're now in the middle of the three ring, along and Patrick get into it before the match even starts. Patrick shoves Jericho away. Jericho shoves him down and hits a leg streak. Jericho gets a Patrick sucks chant going. He offers up a one-armed test of strength, wins, and Patrick's facial expressions are absolutely priceless. Jericho hits a series of kicks. Patrick retreats to the outside. Patrick gets back in the ring, hits a slap. Jericho slaps him back, and Patrick signals a six, to cricket reference there, as he falls, pole axe straight to the mat. 
We get towards the first ring. Jericho lines up a punch by the ring post, but Patrick ducks and he punches the post. Patrick runs into a boot in the corner. They observe that Jericho isn't attempting to win the match, at least not yet. Patrick goes to the top. Jericho throws him off. He hits a super kick and wins the match. Eric? For a comedy match, this is this is great. Uh, Patrick looked like a total clown. He's supposed to as an evil heel referee. Uh, props to him. It, it was a little weird as he appears to be much physically larger than, than Chris Jericho. Um, and they did acknowledge his amateur wrestling background, but but still, as a cowardly heel referee, he did his job and he did it well. And, and warts aside for this match, there was it was a little too long and there was a lot of stalling. But this was this was entertaining. Why? I think it says a lot about the pay per view that uh, that this was my match of the night. But I don't want that to come across as that I'm giving this match any disservice because I'm not because uh, I didn't think I'd enjoy this. But as soon as I saw Nick Patrick walk out in that robe and those shades. Um, I, I just immediately fell in love with uh, with, with what was uh, was happening before my eyes. Um, you know, I really did enjoy it. Um, you know, I thought Patrick was uh, was great. His selling was absolutely hilarious. It was it was so funny. Um, and uh, and and the match itself, you know, really uh, really did put Jericho over. You know, I was actually expecting with the beatdown that Patrick was getting throughout. Um, I was expecting him to to pick up a cheap win um, in in whatever way it would be. But you know, the fact that Jericho um, you know, picked up the win. He looked strong, and uh, you know, I was impressed with both of them. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil the. Uh, you know, we seem to be in the mood of spoiling the end uh, the end of year awards. So we're doing it, but Patrick is definitely going to be in the discussion for best non wrestling act of the year, and yeah. quite right. So, I mean, he's like we want to talk about people that have benefited since the NWO angle started. There's a decent argument he's benefited more than anybody else. He's been an absolute riot, and this was this was probably as good as the example as any. That. His his facial expression when Jericho put him in the hammerlock was fantastic. Like he just stuck his hand in a pan of boiling water, such as the <laughs> kind of angst on his face. Um, you know, and, and he, he made it work. And Jericho's kind of struggling for struggling for a role, struggling for a bit of personality, I think. Um, and Patrick kind of saved this match from that perspective. I mean, Jericho, fair play to him. He was able to put on a decent wrestling match with one arm, which can't be that intuitive to, to guys that obviously won't have done it before, certainly not outside of any similar gimmick matches they've done previously. Um, but this match was all Nick Patrick in terms of the facial expression, in terms of his cowardly behaviour, in terms of his walkout. I don't think it should have been a second longer. I was beginning to think at the end, this is just starting to drag. And then Jericho hit the super kick and won. I thought, yeah, you got just about as much out of this match as you could have done. And I agree with Wayne. Like, you you get to the end of the show, and Eric, was this the most memorable match on the card? I I slightly disagree in what the best match of the night was, and I'll, I'll, I'll reveal my hand when we get there. But if that... If, well, I, I didn't ask best. I said most memorable. No, I, I, again, I, I still think that, that for me there was something a little bit more memorable uh, coming down the pipeline. But 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 not by much, and this was yeah. Overall, I think in terms of of, of of what a match sets out to accomplish, this match hit checked all the boxes absolutely. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. Uh, Minji in Oakland introduces Ric Flair. We didn't mention it in the news, but Ric Flair is apparently going to be out for significantly longer than we were initially expecting. They're looking at the first third of next year, I think, in terms of when he'll be back to in reaction. Uh, Flair gets a big reaction from the crowd with his arm in a sling. He reels off a load of names that said they represent WCW. He then starts dancing before saying the NWO will belong to WCW. He didn't really say a lot. And then hey, we next to the... Can I can I jump in here for a second? Yeah, go on. Uh, Flair didn't mention Jarrett. Well, the, uh, the, well, it might be best to discuss it now. Right, have they given up on the whole Jarrett thing? Because um, <laughs> the last time I tried the months, Jarrett just wrestled as a heel. Yeah, it's a it's a disaster. Uh, well. I think the disaster would have been carrying on with Jeff Jarrett as the de facto leader of the NWO. Um, but yeah, it did seem a little bit weird. But no, you are right. Thought, thoughts on this, Eric, now, now that we're here? Oh, I just, you know, it was, Flair comes out, they've been, they've been propping, they've been using him to prop up Jarrett for the past number of weeks. He comes out and lists 10 or 12 wrestlers that could save WCW and his, Apparent handpicked uh, replacement in the Four Horsemen that doesn't doesn't make the cut. Then Jarrett comes out and gets and gets beat down by the Giant. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think this signifies that that Jarrett's uh, Jarrett's done as a as a main, mainstay in the Four Horsemen. I think we'll continue this more once we get to the end of this match. Wayne, any thoughts on the promo? Well, well, the promo itself is, uh, you know, it's just flow being flow. You know, he doesn't even have to, to say much. You know, just comes out, struts, dances a bit, woos, and uh, and jobs are good. And but uh, just to touch on that Jarrett one, I think you know WCW have finally come to realise what they've got on their hands now. You know, he couldn't really do much in WWF, and uh, he's sure not going to be able to do it as uh, face or heel for WCW. Yeah, the uh, buyer's remorse, I believe, is the line. And God, they bought him long enough ago, and they they they, they worked out the deal about a year ago, I think. Uh, they had to let Jarrett sit out his contract. Uh, they had seven months to review tapes of his run in WCW. Apparently, didn't thought, oh, it'd be a great idea to put Jarrett in as the the, the leader of the Four Horsemen. Now Flair's injured, <laughs> and then they got a month in and went, oh, it's Jeff Jarrett. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Just, just the kind of long sigh in a creative meeting in WCW. It's when, yeah, maybe if we just forget about this and just have, because yeah, the the following night on Night Show, he just wrestled as a heel. It's like he just completely forgot the last month's worth of stuff, and all of those impassioned promos you heard on last month's show, or would have seen on Nitro. Um, it's probably too early to completely write it off, but I think we might be at the end of December being. Be able to say conclusively that the Jarrett experiment has uh, assured it was, has failed. Anyway, we want to the match itself. It's the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett. Giant uh, Jarrett comes out with what can only be described as an absurd amount of pyro. He goes straight after Giant, who just shoves him away. Giant runs him over with a clothesline. Jarrett rallies with a clothesline in the corner. He attempts a splash, but Giant just drives him away. Fans start looking away to the left. It sting. And let me tell you, the Norfolk Scope is a big building, and Sting was on basically the, the walkway right at the top of it. He is a long way up, and co- co- uh, as a result, it's a long way down. They want Sting to get through. And probably not a good sign for Jeff Jarrett that they decided to reveal Sting about halfway during this match and then have the match continue while Sting made his slow descent round the outside of the arena, basically, down through a long list of 
fans into the crowd. Anyway, boot, another leg drop. Uh, Jarrett comes off to the top with a crossbody. Sting is still coming, but it's a long way to go. Jarrett sends uh, Giant over the top. Sting is finally in the ring. With the ref counting, facing the hard camera, Sting walks in through the back, grabs Jarrett by the hair, hits a slop drop, which apparently is his new move, reverse DDT. Jarrett returns to the ring, hits a big choke slam, and that will do that. Wayne? Uh, it's, yeah, this is where it started going downhill, mate. Um, you know, nothing of note at all. I think, you know, you just said it well in, in the review, though. The fact that it covered Sting off halfway through the match um, and pretty much just carried on showing Sting walking down through the crowd and into the ring um, says more about what, you know, they actually think about this match as a whole. And uh, and I can't disagree with them, really. You know, it's, it was just more to, to showcase um, Sting as, uh, you know, as this new new character that he's uh, portraying. And I was actually thinking that it was maybe there to set up um, Sting and, and, you know, Double J, but uh, obviously the next night on Raw with what happens with Rick Steiner, maybe that's not the route that they're going to be going down at all. But, uh, but yeah, it was just more of a match for Sting than anything. Eric? I don't have much to add. This is just kind of a nothing match. This giant Jarrett feud hasn't gotten anybody over. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the focus was, was clearly Sting, and to add more confusion onto onto that aspect of it. Jarrett was just a, a bystander into a bigger picture here. So, yeah, kind of a, a nothing match. Glad that Giant won clean and put Jarrett out to pasture. I didn't really win clean, did he? No, not, not clean, but he won one, two, three in the middle of the ring, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rather than a DQ and a exactly, proper exactly. smiles. All right, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, yeah, like we we had a lot of hope last month with the Jarrett Giant match. It was a little bit of a surprise, but I don't know whether they just... Word had got around, or Jarrett had kind of figured the writing was on the wall. But this was nowhere near the match was last month. I mean, I guess when you're when you're sat preparing a match and they're like, "Yeah, about two or three minutes into the match, we're going to reveal Sting a fuckload of a way up there, and then the match is going to go on while everyone can see him slowly walking down, and he had to walk right the way around the walkway down about God about two hundred steps, and then." bit of extra walking right the way through the crowd to the ring. Jarrett has to play completely dumb throughout all of this. They have to time the bit with Giant getting turned to the outside. And then there's this weird thing where Sting will grab someone by the hair. He's done this a couple of times now with this new finisher. And they are apparently paralysed doing anything about it. <laughs> Had a good long look at Sting before Sting hit that move. And you're like, you, you could have done anything. You could have run away. You could have dropped to the floor. You could have turned around and tackled him, but you've just got to wait because things the guy we're getting over. Anyway, um, Eric, we, we did we did speak about it, but but thoughts on Jarrett? I mean, uh, you know, uh, more, more for them for, uh, you know, not looking at the receipt, I suppose. You know, Jarrett's, Jarrett's a fine technical wrestler, and we've, we've, so we, we've seen that, that when put against the right opponent, he can have, a, you know, an above-average match, but I think that's about his ceiling. And so maybe bump him down, put him in the TV title picture, or, you know, get him in a tag team with 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 somebody, get him away from the main event scene because the last thing that this main event scene needs is Jarrett Stink all over it. Why anymore? Well, uh, you know, more more full WCW than anything. I mean, you know, like like you just said before, you know, he's he's been off for so much time. You know, check his tapes out, but he's come in with 
you know the same gimmick, the same attire. It's uh, just doesn't make any sense. You know, he didn't do much in WWF. You know, he had he, he had the mid card title, but like Eric says, you know, he put on a couple of decent matches, but that was his ceiling. So the fact that they brought him in and and you know made him a de facto leader of uh, WCW is uh, you know is stu- stupid on WCW's part. Eric, better to abruptly stop the Jarrett push than to try and do anything with it. Now, if you were sat there at the beginning of November, knowing what we knew at the end of October regarding what they'd done with him already, you know, is this just a case of damage control being the best option? Yeah, and I think, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good with the amount of money they're paying them and with how much they've already put behind Jarrett to completely cut his legs out. But uh, I think you got to... You know, no, no when to, no when to fold your hand. And, uh, and with Jarrett, I think it's time to, to fold this hand, maybe get him off TV for a little bit. Uh, maybe, I mean, I think. He's been on TV about six weeks. Well, no, no, no. I just mean, they, they brought him back into, <laughs> they brought him back in, in the same exact gimmick. And I think, you know, unless he's committed to playing that, that part and no other part, he, he needs to be repackaged. He needs to be a different, character or, or he needs to be moved away, at least moved away from the main event and, and but they still have to pay him this you know this money so you can't you can't just totally you know take him off TV but yeah they need to take a long hard look at, at, at what Jared's strengths and weaknesses are and and realize that putting him on the microphone every Monday and and, uh, and trying to, to give him a shine off of flair is not the way to go do you think Rick flair who you know, formally has no sway on WCW creatively, might be a little bit pissed off that he's just given a guy his finishing move and his endorsement that about three weeks after he did all that, to think Flair might go, oh, fucking hell. Flair's already angry enough about some of the NWO stuff and everything else that's going on. And then they say, yeah, we want you to give the rub to Jeff Jarrett. We're going to give him a big push. And Flair being Flair, being the company guy, being tall at the back end of his career, body starting to give up on him, goes, yeah, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll give Jarrett this big, you know, this big leg up. And then Eric, like three weeks later, it's just Jeff Jarrett sort of kind of playing the heel character he played in the WWF with sort of kind of the same music and sort of kind of the same gimmick. And it's like Flair's just sat there going, what was the point of that? Bob, you know, you, you say things sometimes that inspire me to, to think outside the box a little bit here. Oh, I like to think I provide a service yeah, with it. And, and I think really Wayne nice. would agree too. And, you know, uh, why not have why not have Jarek continue being kind of the, the heel that he was uh, on the Nitro after the show and then have, have him and Flair have a, have a little bit of a feud? You know, it seems like they're trying to keep Flair away from the NWO, trying to keep him involved in, in angles other than that angle. And so maybe you have Flair and Jarrett, and, and Jarrett can, can develop his heel persona, and, and maybe ultimately Flair goes over, but Jarrett gets a little bit of a shine and, and some more credibility. Uh, and, and they could play off of that. You know, Flair comes out and says, I, I tried to give you the keys to the castle, and you know, it, didn't, it didn't work out, and I, I want control back. You have a little bit of a power struggle. And then, uh, you know, short feud, Flair ultimately wins, but Jarrett comes out looking better. I don't know. That's the, that's the best that I can come up with for Jared. Probably work better if Flair wasn't out for about four months with a shoulder injury. Right. Um, exactly. I don't know. I don't know how you get out of that. Wayne, any more thoughts? I feel like we spent a disproportionately long amount of time talking about Jared as it is. Oh, I was going to say double Jared's had far too much of my time. You believe this, Mister Piper? 
I thought I'd let you know that uh, Hollywood's a little busy. Got a couple scripts just arrived, and he's back taking a look at them. He did, however, earlier today give me his power of attorney. It's a business thing, you know. Oh, my goodness. It's an NWO thing. So I'm happy to take a look at whatever contract you have, and by the power vested in me, I'd be happy to sign for Mr. Hogan if it meets our requirements. First of all, I taught you how to fight, so get out of my way. Easy now. Second of all, you any monster look-alike, you know a cat. Peon, wannabe, never could be. You know what you are? You're one of the new kids on the block, and you're lost from the block, brother, because you're way too old, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You're going to try to say to me that you have power for Hogan. (laughs) That's great. It's wonderful. I taught you how to fight. Piper stepping on the Shut edge up. now. I ain't finished. And I do know you're there, DiBiase. 28 years I've been doing this. And not once have I had my hair primped. And not once have I had my nails done. You want to take over the WCW, the NWO? I could care less. But do you think that I'm going to trust a lion, little flake, gay, wonderful human being like yourself? Tell me something. How'd you get that crack in that lip? Huh? Yeah. You know something? You know why I can wear this? Because I'm damn tough enough to. That's why. That's right. That's right. Easy, Piper. Okay. I can find you for that. Tell me. Tell me something. How much would it cost me by fine for me just to knock your ass out? I got got the money. Just give me an approximate. 10,000. More than you've got. I'll tell you what, this is going nowhere. I'll tell you something, folks, I'm tired of the baloney. This is the way it's going to be. You got a pay-per-view, Nashville, the 29th. I will fight Hogan. Oh, thank you very much. Took me a while to memorize that. (laughs) I will fight Hogan. Get your hands off. I will fight Hogan, but I'm going to tell you this. I could care less whether the NWO is down there, which means now, if you mess with me, no way out. I don't care if I get knocked out and the referee catches these geeks. What you're going to do, you're going to revive me and the fight is going to go on. I'm not going for no DQs. I'm not going for no sneaking outs. I ain't going for runnings away. I'm going for the fight of the century and who the icon is. So if I take this fight and you got the balls to get Hogan down here, then this fight will end the 29th, regardless of the NWO. Now you, you little puke, get out of here. Hogan, you coward, come on down. 
Here's Roddy Piper. He's got some paper in his hand. I presume that's a contract. They've got a table in the ring, and it's got a tartan-ish tablecloth over the top of it. Piper calls Hogan out, but out comes Bischoff, Vincent, DiBiase, and Giant. Well, Giant came out and then went back and then came out a bit later on. Uh, Bischoff is wearing an NWOT and a leather jacket. He says, Hollywood is a little busy, but Bischoff has the power of attorney. Piper keeps slapping Vincent. He asks how much it would cost him to hit Bischoff and fines. Piper, in the middle of a big promo about his fight with Hulk Hogan next month, gets lobbed what looked like a bag of popcorn. It's a bloody good throw. Uh, I presume they put this segment on here so that if it takes three hours, we won't run out of time. Felt like it did anyway. Out comes Hulk Hogan, the outsiders six and giant again, and Liz in a sequined NWO dress. Well, it's a dress with an NWO logo on it. Impressive enough, anyway. Uh, Piper's outnumbered about ten to one here. Hogan demands Piper show them the hip. Wherever this segment's going. Piper lifts up his kilt. Nothing there. Hogan lifts up the kilt on the side of the other leg, and there's a huge-ass scar. Well, huge scar, I suppose. Not sure if calling it huge ass is uh, helpful here. Uh, Hogan signs the contract. He says he can't wait to beat up a gimp. Piper slaps him, but the numbers game envelops him. Is there anybody backstage that might want to help Piper? Apparently not. Hogan grabs a chair. We see a close-up of Piper's arse. Hogan hits him with a chair. Nobody comes out to help. They spray paint NWO on his leg. Hogan then spits in his face. The NWO walk off. Piper gets up and then says, if that's the best you can do, then you're in trouble. Wayne. Oh, uh, where to start? Um, again, we've seen it throughout with with NWO. We saw it with Savage. We've we've seen it with others. Um, you know, where's where's the help? We, we've got uh, we've got six. Well, not sixty men. We've probably got about fifty five men that are not a part of the NWO that are going to be taking part uh, in the uh, in, in the battle royal later. Why are they all not coming out taking on the NWO if they've caused so much havoc? Um, Piper as well. You know. I, I just don't get how we're, uh, how we're, we're bringing these guys in to, to give the shine to, to Hogan. Um, as much as I've, I've backed Hogan in, in this heel turn, um, I'm, I'm now starting to, uh, to, to be persuaded otherwise because, uh, all it is, is, uh, it's just the same old Hogan I've been seeing for, for years in WCW, um, getting his own way, getting the shine, um, but he's just in, uh, he's just in black and white now. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of the segment. I'm not a fan of this, 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 New feud, um, and you know I'm, I'm starting to to also not be uh, to, to feel how I felt about Hogan when he was wearing the uh, the yellow and red. All right, I don't know. It's 1996. Is Roddy Piper really a credible challenger for for Hogan? Uh, I don't know. Piper, Piper's always good on the mic. Uh, he he, you know he he does some good things with continuity. You know he tells Virgil slash Vincent slash you know whatever. I taught you how to fight. Uh, and pushes him away. I thought that was a, a great recall back to the, the million dollar uh, feud with million dollar man that Virgil had when he solicited Piper to help him. Little things like that, you know, help this segment boost it up. But I can't believe that WCW is not only trying to, you know, sell their their WrestleMania on a Hogan Piper match, but they're trying to convince everybody that it's the match of the match of the decade, match of the century, maybe the match of the century in 1984, but not now, and it's I was just say, it's, it, match of the decade, but the wrong decade. Wrong decade. <laughs> exactly, 
And so this this is just problematic, and I don't know where it's going, and I don't know if Hogan wanted to bring in Piper just to say he finally got his clean win over Piper. I don't know where this is going, but, boy, this just does not inspire confidence in the WCW main event scene moving forward. No, um, I think we're supposed to like these segments, or we're supposed to feel sympathy for Piper or something. I don't know. There's, there's, there's some end game beyond this that's leading to Starcade, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it is. Like I, you know, I've said it before. There's, you know, stupid babyface mode doesn't, I've never seen it work. And like Piper walking to his own death trying to have a fight as he did here on the Nitro. Was it before? Was it before Eric or was it after? I think it was before. It was after Bischoff, after he exposed Turn, Bischoff. That's right. That came down. Yeah. yeah. Piper trying to walk into a massacre doesn't particularly make me side with him. And Piper not having any friends from the back that want to come out and maybe just watch his back. You know, I'm not saying you've got to start a fight, but you can prevent one from happening. The fact that nobody does that tells me that there's, you know, with Piper not seemingly have any support from the back, which is a bit weird in itself. More on that later. Um, but yeah, it just... I don't know. Like The whole thing seemed a bit weird. Like, like you know, I, I already feel like Piper's at disadvantage enough. Why reveal that he's got a massive... He's had a lot of hip surgery. Like, how does, how does that get me excited for Roddy Piper in a main event in 1996 reminded me the guy's really, really old and really, really broken down. Like, what, why is Roddy Piper leading? You know, we talk about Jarrett. At least Jarrett's a full-time guy. Why is Roddy Piper leading the charge against the NWO, apparently, on his own? And the segment didn't really go anywhere. I mean, I think I, I think it's positive build. I think people were... I suppose the, the, the goal was to, to make people more interested in Piper and Hogan as a result of the segment they would have been otherwise. In theory, your pay-per-view buying audience from this month is going to be very likely to want to buy the next one. So I suppose it ticked a box in that sense. It just... I don't know, like I'm I'm not sure as a viewer why I'm supposed to be that invested in this feud. I'm not sure why I'm supposed to be invested in Piper. Um wait, turning the subject slightly, we are gonna talk about it more later on the show, but what do you think about Eric Bischoff the heel? Uh quite natural I thought. Yeah, I mean the you know, the the next night on, on Nitro he he played that character um really, really well. Um goes you know, says says a lot about the, the Nitro Previous to this, when uh, when he did the turn, you know, I thought that didn't come off too well at all. But uh, but yeah, he does. He, you know, he does play it natural. Maybe maybe deep down, he is that smarmy, um, arrogant. Um, try not to swear, but yeah, that's uh, that kind of guy. Bit of a cop. Yes, yeah. Eric, same question. Yeah, I think you know Bischoff always struggled to to be credible in that you know generic bland face announcer role that. Uh, the Vince McMahon uh, model, if you will. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is a good move for him. I, I worry that it's just going to mean, you know, more NWO uh, dominance and no hope for, for anybody on the WCW side, no credible hope. But, yeah, I think it's a good move. It gives them a, a, a credible mouthpiece and, and a puppet master. Well, uh, I'm willing to give it a, give it a chance because Bischoff is inherently hateable, I think. We will talk about that more later in the show. We move on next to the amazing French-Canadians Jacques Rougeau and Carlo Lay with Colonel Parker, who's now on their side, versus Harlem Heat, Booker T. C. Ray, with Sister Sherry. Parker is dressed like a trooper, I think, or something like that, or a Canadian whatever. Um, 
He looked, he looked, he looked decent. Anyway, you know, more noteworthy than Colonel Parker usually does. Anyway, we start out with Rougeau and Booker. Booker hits a nice sidekick. Ule levels Ray with a clothesline, then hits a big splash in the corner. Booker splashes uh, Ulette's head off the top rope. He follows that with a lovely scissors kick. Booker spins to his feet and hits a jumping sidekick. He fucks up being thrown to the floor, so Rougeau helps him over the top so Parker can get some boots in. Rougeau's body slams Ule onto Booker. Ulay flips Booker over with a clothesline. The crowd are incredibly flat. Stevie tags in. Gorilla presses Rougeau onto Ulay. Ref gets squashed in the corner. Goes down. I sense some Parker and Sherry shenanigans coming. We get a double team spike pile drive by the Canadians. Here comes the table. They lay it across the top rope. They then put the ring steps underneath it. Then get another set of ring steps. And there are three rings. There's a lot of steps as well. Get another set of ring steps and put that on top of the table. What the fuck is this? I've got in my notes. Ulay comes off of the top steps by holding on to Rougeau's hands with a flip plancher. But Stevie moves and he hits the deck hard. Booker then hits the Harlem hangover and the Heat win. Sherry wins five minutes with Colonel Parker. It's not very long, so I'll go through that now. Technically, I think it's meant to be another match. Sherry levels Parker with a right, then a 10-punch in the middle of the ring. Sherry clotheslines Parker, and again, Dusty is losing his mind on commentary. <laughs> Sherry goes to the top, hits a crossbody, but Parker kicks out. Rougeau then pulls him out of the ring and leads him away as Sherry chases him desperately to the back. Eric, thoughts on this? You know, forget about the Canadians versus the Heat. This Sherry Parker, the minute and a half that they were given, I, 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 this was the most entertaining part of the night for me. And, you know, it's stupid, dumb fun, but why else do you watch professional wrestling? Dusty Rhodes, you know, give that man a medal. He made this so entertaining. I was laughing hysterically, uncontrollably. Uh, the Canadians' Heat match was, was nothing. Good to see the Heat win. Uh... I don't think the Canadians are destined for much here uh, in this WCW run, but but my goodness, the Sherry Parker match for as dumb and as as, as unnecessary as it, it might have been, sprinkle in some Dusty, and 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 that's the that's what I think I came away from with this show is the most memorable segment. Wayne, you're coming up on two years on this show. Are you not yep. as bored as I am of this Parker and <laughs> stuff? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, just to carry on what Eric was saying, if it was the first time that I, I would have seen um, Sherry and, and Parker in the ring and, and Dusty going wild, I would have been been exactly the same because that's when I was, that's what I was like when uh, when it was the feud with uh, with Bunkhouse Book and, um, and Dirty Dick Slater when they had the uh, the, the mixed tag. Um, we just seem to have come full circle. We're back to square one again, you know. I, I, and, and I feel sorry for for Harlem Heat and all of this because uh, you know they've had to take a bit of a backseat um, on on this particular feud because uh, because you know it has all been about Sherry and, uh, and Colonel Robert Parker. But uh, um, you know the fact that we've come um, full circle and, and as I said, back to square one just doesn't make any sense at all. Come off the top with a big crossbody ahead. And then we're going to pretend she's had amnesia and she's now really in love with Carl Parker again. We're just going to keep going and do that story that get showing nightmare flashbacks to all of that. Yeah. Why do you think of the match? Uh, well, again, it was just another match that was put together to, to showcase something else, and, uh, and and that being the um, you know the cumulative effort of uh, of Sherry getting her hands on um, on Parker. Eric, any more on the the, the actual tag match before the um, for the extra match? Uh, yeah, just you know that the the, the heat seemed to be destined for bigger and better things, and I, and I hope they get there. Especially, 
uh, Booker T, it's clear that he's a head and shoulders above everybody else that participated in this match. Yeah, um, he was, you know, we've seen Kole last year as John Pierre Lafitte be quite good, but I wonder whether that was just because he was in the ring with Bret Hart. Um, but yeah, like, Stevie's okay, Booker T is the only noteworthy watchable thing from this match. I kind of agree with Wayne, like the, Harlem Heat are a really good tag team and too often they have to be a really good tag team by fighting through a load of shit um, and it's starting to wear a little thin um, I'd just rather the Harlem Heat go their own way I think they're both competent on the mic and they're only going to get better if you give them a chance to talk and there's enough going on in this tag team there's enough teams, you know, we're going to cover that match in a bit where they've got enough to work with where I don't think they need anything else just be two ass-kicking guys from Harlem. That's all you got to be. The gimmick doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. They don't need Parker and Sherry. What do they need Parker and Sherry for? They've been around two years. They can handle themselves, surely. Anyway, this was pro... Well, no, it wasn't. But it was It was the first low point on the show. We'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Lex Luger cuts an incredibly inane promo. He seems almost bored that his best friend has seemingly got to have undergone a complete character transformation and handed him a baseball bat, and he's talking like he's filling out his tax return. Move on next to Psychosis versus Dean Malenko for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Malenko starts an STF. He drives his head into Psychosis' back and rolls it over into an unusual pit attempt. The crowd, for what it's worth, a dead silence. This match in the ECW arena would have got a standing ovation already. Instead, the double kick up got double kip up and got crickets. Fans get distracted by something going on elsewhere in the crowd, but I don't think it's anything storyline related. Psychosis throws Malenko to the outside, then comes off the top and crashes hard into the guardrail. Malenko locks in a head to still silence. Malenko locks in a pretty grim looking wall legged off. Malenko hits a double underhook powerbomb, then goes for a cloverleaf, but Psychosis quickly grabs the ropes. Malenko works the leg. He hooks Psychosis over the top, misses a baseball slide, and then Psychosis hits a backbreaker. Psychosis comes off the top with a corkscrew moonsault, finally a bit of noise from the crowd. Psychosis hits a Frankensteiner for a two. He sets for a brain buster, but Malenko counters it for a small package for a two. Malenko sets for a tombstone. It's reversed, then it's reversed again, and Malenko hits a tombstone flapjack for a two. Malenko rolls up Psychosis using his legs, bridges the pin on his head, and wins the match. Wayne? This is the problem that you've got when you've got matches like this happening on Nitro. Um, you know, when people are paying uh, good money to, to see these kind of matches on a pay-per-view. Um, like I said, when you can watch it on free TV, but I think that's just a WCW problem uh, in general. Um Again, you know, the, the crowd being dead for the match, um, probably, probably paid pain to the match itself. Um, maybe, maybe Malenko and Psychosis would have got into it a lot more if, uh, if the crowd was, uh, was into it. But I, I think halfway through, I, I could tell that these guys were, were just not putting or giving 100% because, you know, no one was invested in the crowd, the guys. Uh, you know, it was a good finish at the end. You know, I thought that tombstone reversal was, uh, was very well done. It's a shame that we'd already seen a tombstone pile driver in the other cruiserweight match. But, uh, but then, you know, the bridge roll at the end to, uh, to set up with a win was, uh, was nicely done. But I think, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just painting over or papering over the cracks with, uh, with that. Eric, this match was so boring. Uh, I, I understand that it, 
a lot of folks like the the technical style, Dean Malenko's mat-based style. Uh, I, I understand that. I think this match would have been, like you said, Bob, better received in the ECW arena than it was here. Or, or, or it might have been received at all. Received at all, exactly. But, you know... I hate, I hate, I hate feeling like I'm being so negative, because uh, because I, I do like to see the positives in, in, in wrestling as entertainment. But this was not entertaining. Uh, the, the match never got out of second gear, uh, and so there's just you know I didn't really take any notes for this match because there was nothing nothing memorable. Oh, this was awful. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it, it may, maybe maybe we're just forgetting what it used to be like. Maybe we're you know, maybe we're under understating what this, you know, what WCW used to be in terms of pay-per-view cars that had genuinely dreadful matches. I don't think you have to. You can only it might only be eighteen months. That Slamboree match, the Legends match, that was abysmal, abhorrently bad. But you know, you can only go so far in calling Dean Malenko a great wrestler. When you watch this kind of match and you go, why didn't you change it up? What the first three minutes of the match didn't tell you that the crowd just weren't going to be invested in the style of match you had built out. And there seemingly was no attempt to change it up. You know, you've got, you've got psychosis. Yeah, the clue's in the name. You've got psychosis. A guy will do some crazy shit if you're given the call to. Three minutes into the match, you say, right, roll it to the outside and do a do a plancher to me and I'll catch you. We'll get the crowd in like that. Turn it into a bit more of a brawl. Do anything. Like my anger with this match isn't that it was that bad. It's just that it, it, it shouldn't have been anywhere near as bad as it was. Um, and, and yeah, this is a rare occasion where both guys, the blame's on them, I think. You know, Dave Meltzer said some stuff about, you know, Malenko either needs to tell the announcers to get over what he's doing. Mike Tanay was, was out there tonight. Tell the announcers to get over what he's doing. I think he's on this match, admittedly. Or do something different. It's like, yes, do something different. Make some, yeah, wrestling can be anything. Dean Malenko could be so many different things. I don't know whether maybe he just thought that, you know, yeah, we're in the middle of a car. We might need to calm them down. But it's like, look at what's going on around you. We had a, a quite good, a slightly weird opening match. And then since then, we had a comedy match, a nothing match, a massively long segment involving Roddy Piper, and then a really bad match involving Harlem Heat, the amazing French Canadians. The crowd are already pretty calm. Lift them up. Um, yeah, I, wait, uh, maybe I'm being too harsh, but I, you know, this is one of the worst matches I've seen in WCW all year. Yeah, I mean, it's it probably come across from the shows that I've done before, but I am, you know, a massive Malenko fan, and uh, um, and like you said, the fact that he's um, he's not even changed the match up is, uh, is is a bit disappointing. You know, a couple of minutes in, you know, the crowd's not going to be invested. Then uh, you know, then then try something else, and uh, and, and the fact that they're not done. Um, you know, again, you know, with the with the match itself, is uh, I can't disagree and say it is probably one of the worst matches the, that I have seen. Yeah, um, yeah, more more anger, just more, just genuine frustration. It's like you could be so much better than this, but yeah, that like great wrestlers listen to crowds, 
like Malenko didn't listen here. And so that goes to a point as well, but I suspect Malenko was probably in charge of the match, certainly given the way the match played out. Change it up. That would have been my advice. Anyway, we move on. It's the Outsiders, Kevin Hall. Uh, Kevin Hall? Charlie, yeah. The Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall versus the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags versus the Faces of Fear, Meng and the Barbarian with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Tag Team titles in a triangle tag match. Usual WCW triangle tag match rules apply. There are two men in the ring and everyone else stands on the outside as this will become quite important. Yes, you can apparently tag in both members of the same team. The fight starts with the Nasties going after the Outsiders and clearing the ring before the Faces of Fear have even come out. The Faces go after Hall, the Nasties after Nash. I like that. The Outsiders retreat on the outside. There we go. We restore some order with Knobs levelling Barbarian with a clothesline and the Nasties hitting a double clothesline. The Nasties and Faces of Fear go into it in the corner. Nash and Hall look pretty smug as their opponents beat each other up. Nash and Hall both get in the match briefly, but Nash runs into Nobbs' big boot and takes himself out as he staggers, tags himself out as he staggers backwards. This is a wild match. Sags ends up laying over the turnbuckle in the corner of the outsiders as the match breaks down. Nash gets in the match and levels Barb with a clothesline and a side slam. Meng hits a belly to back on Hall for a near fall. We break down again with the outsiders and the faces. Eventually get, it gets into Nash and Meng, who it's a great running clothesline into a corner right next to the camera. Meng is a pile driver onto Nobbs. Sags is an atomic drop onto Hall, followed by a good old-fashioned low blow. Hall, as he collapses, has the sense to tag himself out. Meng tags in Hall, Nobbs tags in Nash, and everyone gets ballistically excited, despite the fact this makes no sense. I'm talking about the crowd, I'm talking about announcers, everyone's really happy. As Shivoni says, if they pin each other, the match ends, right? Nash and Hall face off as everyone else stands on the outside. Diesel, Diesel, God, yes, it still creases to my notes. Nash, <laughs> Nash lays down for Hall, one two, and the Nasties have to jump in the ring to break up the pin. Nobbs heads but Nash in the nuts. Nobbs levels Hart, who's on the apron. In the melee, Hall hits Nobbs with Hart's megaphone. Nash then hits a quite impressive jackknife onto Nobbs, and the outsiders retain. Eric? Uh, let's not let's not be uh, uh, be ashamed to call this not a very good match, but because uh, it wasn't. But uh, after what we're just coming off with Malenko and Psychosis, uh, with the with the problems with this whole show so far, it was it was quite refreshing to watch six guys, most of whom are pretty stiff, notoriously, uh, just beat the hell out of each other for a solid fifteen or twenty minutes. It was a nice change of pace, um, and, and and I'm a big Faces of Fear fan, so getting them on the on the pay per view card, uh, as limited as they might be in ring, uh, they bring an, an air of believability. Uh, to any match they're in. It was just a nice change of pace. Not a great match, but but nice to see six big guys beat the hell out of each other for a period of time. Wine. Yeah, can't disagree with Eric. It's um, you know it's just a change of pace from uh, from the last match. You know I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, of guys um, you know beating the crap out of each other. So you know think you know matches like that I'm uh, I'm all for. Um, I'm, I'm glad that they did the uh, you know the pin spot with all. The t- Talk and the fact that they tagged them in, I was uh, I was very happy to see it. But to to play devil's advocate, if they was going to do something, 
then maybe they should have done a quick submission and uh, and, and and have um, have Hall tap out quickly. Uh, sorry, not Hall. Um, Nash tap out uh, quickly. But um, but yeah, you know, it was just a, you know another match. Uh, you know, just just thrown together, um, plodding its way through, um, just getting ready for uh, for what was obviously coming next, I suppose. I'm not even sure Kevin Nash, even in a situation like this, would sign off on a booking decision that would see him tapping out in the middle of the ring. <laughs> even, even, even one that benefited his own team. Um, yeah, uh, Eric, you said earlier on you don't like the cruiserweight style. I really like this style of wrestling, and and this was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, there's you you, you can sit there and pick holes in, it in terms of oh they missed that spot. Yeah, this wasn't very well coordinated. Who gives a shit? It was six big guys. All really solid, stiff workers just going at it. And it, and it made sense. That was that was the thing. You look at the previous match and it's like, well, I don't care if it's wrestling for the title. What do we really know about it? Why are they why are they rivals other than the championship? What does it matter? These guys have all got beats with each other. And they just beat... And, 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 you know, we're going to come to the main event. I just like the start of the match. They went, right, no, two on one against the outsiders. We've got the numbers advantage. We're going to take it. The match break down. I thought, we got close to the whole, you know, I've got enough problems with the NWO trying to be, you know, too... Um, I wouldn't say smarky to read the word. Too clever for their own good and too kind of popular in terms of, you know, they were... They looked really cool stood in the corner while the other two teams beat hell out of each other. Um... But it just worked. It was really uncoordinated. You know, know, there's enough stupidity around the whole thing that two members of the team can get tagged in. But I like what they did there. They kind of made a joke out of their own rule in the National Hall. And again, this is... This is where we creep into cool babyface acting that those guys are, you know, it's not a dastardly heel thing to do to try and loop the rules in this way. If they'd have pulled this off, they'd have looked like heroes for just you know, beating the system. Um, but the match was really stiff. You know, it's a bit of a shame that Meng and Barbarian have been around for, you know, on, on this, you know, in, in this roster as a tag team for 18 months. And they finally worked out, actually, these guys could be quite good. And it's like, well, if you'd have said that, you know, eight to ten months ago when WCW had a really deep tag team roster when Scott Steiner wasn't injured and when you had, like, the Road Warriors knocking around and, um, you know, Public Enemy before, you know, Johnny Grunge and um, Rocka Rock, I think both had to have surgery and all that kind of thing. It's a shame they weren't pushing them as part of that group, but I'm happy we're here now because they're a, they're a really strong team. Uh, I like the Nasty Boys, and you know what you're getting with the Nasty Boys. And I kind of like the outsiders in this role. I mean, it's, you know, we, we, it does feel like we're going to get six, six months, maybe longer of what, what method of different ways can we find to have the outsiders retain without winning the match? Um, I like, with that in mind, I would almost might have just had them win the match with, with, with the, with, with Hall peeing Nash, I mean, yes, yeah, we, we are into dub baby first mode, so I don't really want to get there. But yeah, I, I just thought this was really fun. Eric, I take it this was the match you're referencing as the one you thought was the surprise on the card, and probably the best match of the night. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, I, you know, the Sherry, the Sherry Parker match made me laugh, but this was truly a, a you know, the match that I was waiting to talk about in that, I, I just, I just love watching six 300 pound guys beat the Everland oven piss out of each other for 15 minutes. Uh, you know, 
the thing about Holland Nash is I think they're a really good team. It's it's good to pair them together, uh, not so much because it you know we're emphasizing their their collective star power because they could clearly be bigger stars as single acts. But if you look at the WCW tag team division, you have Faces of Fear and the Nasties are her you know brawling, not technical teams. Then you have the Heat, which are you know a little bit more of a, a traditional wrestling tag team. And then you have the Steiner Brothers, who are probably the, the most talented tag team on the roster. And the Outsiders could probably have good matches with all of them if you look at Hall and Nash's skills. And so, yeah, I think it, I think this bodes well. I think the tag team division's in pretty good shape. And it was good to see that you know the Nasties took the pin, so maybe we can get some more Fear versus Outsiders down the road. And this sets up nicely to move the Heat and the Steiners whenever uh, Scott uh, is, is healthy. Uh, into that role. Wayne, is it fair to say uh, this is probably a less than ideal use of National Hall? I know I'm kind of contradicting what Eric said slightly, but more in the sense that it feels like they're a tag team because there's no good singles opponents for them. That and the fact that they're probably having to take a bit of a backseat to, to Hogan. That too. And, and that's kind of bubbling under in terms of the news and stuff. In terms yeah. of there's some... Yeah, I think we, we mentioned that last month in terms of there's some stuff going on there as well. But yeah, um, you know, there's WCW's tag team division, once everyone's back and fit, is pretty strong. Um, but yeah, I think it says a lot that we're not kind of pointing out the issues of tying up two of their biggest acts in the tag team division because as good as they would be as singles acts, they've kind of got nobody to face. Um which is a bit of a problem, but that's just something different. Anyway, here we go. We're set for the main event. Three rings, three different commentary pairings. Lee Marshall and Larry Zabisco in ring three, Dusty and Mike Tanay in ring one, and Shivoni and Heenan on number two. Here we go. It's Arneson, Marcus Bagwell, The Barbarian, Chris Benoit, Big Brother Rogers, Jack Boot, Bunkhouse Buxy, Clope, Disco Inferno, Jim Duggan, Bobby Eaton, Mike Enos, Galaxy, Joe Gomez, Jimmy Del Rey as Jimmy Graffiti, The Giant, Johnny Grunge, Human to Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, Scott Hall, Prince I- Prince Ayukea, Ice Train, Mr. JL, Jeff Jarrett, Chris Jericho, Kenny Chaos, Conan, Lex Luger, Dean Malenko, Steve McMichael, Meng, Rey Mysterio Jr., Hugh Morris, Kevin Nash, Scott Norton, Carlo Lay, Diamond Dallas Page, La Parker, Sergeant Craig Pittman, Jim Powers, Robbie Ray, Steve Ray, Lord Steve Regal, The Renegade, Scotty Riggs, Robox, Jack Rougeau, Tony Rumble, Mark Starr, Rick Steiner, Rod Studd, Rod Studd, Ron Studd, The Taskmaster, Six, Booker T, Squire Dave Taylor, Ultimo Dragon, Villano, Four, Mike Wall Street, Pez Watley, Alex Wright in a three rings, three rings, 60 man, over the top right battle royal, with the winner getting a shot at the WCW world title. Now, um, they they were going to have Sting in this match and they decided against it. And apparently the other thing they changed was they weren't going to have the NWO members in the match and then they decided against that as well. They put them in. Um, more on that at the end. Now, this was about a 28... So, Eric, do you remember how long the match was? Did you have that down? Have you got that with you? Yeah, I got it at 28-21. Uh, okay, 28 minutes long and about 90 seconds into the match they went to that... Fucking split screen. And so, I mean, you, like, even if it was one screen, you wouldn't be able to see anything anyway. It's, it's, it's a battle royal. But they go to split screen, you're like, well, I can't see anything on screen number one. And I can't see anything on screen number two. Oh, yeah, and I can't see anything on screen number three either. So you'll have to you have to accept my apologies for these notes. They are a bit bits and pieces. I'm picking up what I can. 
Anyway, before the thing even starts, we get a brawl between Benoit and Sullivan. That quickly breaks down to a brawl between the Dungeon of Doom and the, and the horsemen that are there on the floor. Um, Bubba and Benoit are brawling in the crowd. A taskmaster throws him down the stairs. The NWO, all four of them, seem to be camped out in the middle ring, minding their own business. You'd think that six months of them terrorising the roster people might make them a target. Alas, not. Lee Marshall apparently took a bump in the melee between the Dungeon of Doom and the horsemen brawl. Things are happening, but it's impossible to tell what. Mike Tanay chimes up to tell us Pez Watley has just been eliminated. Thanks, Mike. The NWO are still walking around, untouched. Big Ron Studd has been ganged up upon. Nash Jack Nice Disco Inferno. Ultimate Dragon does a handstand on the top turnbuckle. Don't really know why. Uh, Ron Studd is buried under a pile of bodies. Eddie Guerrero eliminates himself going for a slingshot crossbody over the top onto Regal. Bagwell and Riggs are having a pushing contest on the outside. We consolidate three rings into one ring, I think. Might be three into two, difficult to tell. Despite everyone in the NWO, despite everyone involved, the NWO still are at a disadvantage. Despite everyone in one ring, we've still got a three-way split screen. Luger goes after the giant, which briefly pops the crowd. The numbers start to fall, and we're down to 13. Fucking finally. With about 10 to go, it's finally got to NWO versus WCW. Well, it did. Giant picks up Mysterio with one hand and presses him over the top on Tony Guerrero on the floor. Jarrett goes and we're down to Luger 6, Nash, Hall, Page, Regal and Giant. Regal eliminates Page. It's Regal and Luger versus the NWO. Now it's Luger versus the NWO. Luger unloads on them. He runs into the Giant. Giant goes through a crossbody but gets caught on the top rope. The crowd come unglued as Luger briefly racks the Giant. He gets cut off but as Hall goes to the razor's edge, Luger backdrops into the floor. Luger presses six over the top, we're down to three. He racks Kevin Nash but Giant walks up to him and dumps Luger and Nash over the top and Giant wins for a future shot at Hulk Hogan. Wayne. How long have we got? Uh, as, as long as you need <laughs> as long as you need oh this was horrible um i mean it was bad enough bash at the beach road warriors versus sting and booker t um in the street fight and that was a split screen um with two screens that was bad enough to to keep up with this was even worse was that no, bash at the beach or was that uncensored oh was it sorry it might have been uncensored then yeah because it was a street fight so yeah you're probably right it was um yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, it was hard enough to, to keep track of what was going on on, on the three screens. We, you, they were that small, we couldn't really see what was happening. Then you've got the commentators, um, three teams of commentators, who are distracting, saying, oh, this is what's happening here, and, I'm, and then I'm then trying to focus on what they're talking about. It was Everything on, on the production side just does not work at all. Um, it was also annoying that they, they didn't list all the guys before that they... Um, uh, before they came out, I know that they had them on the screen at the background, but um, you know, tell tell me who's coming, uh, tell me who's going to be in there. Um, you know that that but was. Wait, quite... wait, there's only there's only five people in this match that matters. Well, them in the NWO. Yeah, tr- true, but maybe, yeah, okay, I'll you know maybe maybe I'm being a, a, a you know maybe I'm being more negative than than what I should be on on that particular thing. But uh, it, it, if the match was good and, and the production was good, I probably won't pick up on that. But you know, the fact that I'm just being negative about everything, I'm, I'm just picking at things now but uh, um, you know the fact that they'd all gone into one ring but yet we were still on three screens that was annoying Um, the fact that we've got 56 or 55 guys 
not going, not targeting the NWO. It just did not make sense at all. Um, and then we, we had that one spot where, where we it literally just went to the one screen and we had the WCW guys lining up against the, um, the NWO guys and the crowd was getting hot for it. I thought, here we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm buying into this now. And then the WCW guys turned on each other and then the NWO guys just took a step back and it was like, you know, it was just a bit of, you know, for, for the fact that I was built up, it was like a bit of a damp squib at the, uh, at the end. But, uh, you know, giant winning, you know, that, you know, that, that's, that's quite interesting to see where we're going. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just a cluster. It was just disastrous. And, uh, um, apart from that one, uh, one square up, nothing was good about it. We got down to WCW versus the NWO and WCW turned on each other. <laughs> I'm so good. <laughs> oh, Eric, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lining this up, but, but, but say your piece. Uh, it's going to be hard to top that. Uh, I have a similar laundry list, but you know, I'll keep it, I'll keep it straight and narrow here. You know, Luger has to win, and he doesn't. Uh, why not Page and Luger, and maybe even Regal versus the NWO at the end? You know, Page. We talked about how they're kind of seem to be positioning Page to be a credible challenger to, to all this nonsense, and yet he kind of went out unceremoniously. I know you want to put the shine on Luger, but why not? You know, why not give a little bit to Page? Uh, and then the giant winning, just kind of a kind of a wet fart ending that killed the crowd. And uh, now that we know that it's going to be Piper versus Hogan at Starcade. And the Giant wins this match, which is for a title shot. It became very apparent uh, early on that this match wa- was meaningless. And so not only do we have a, a match that's impossible to follow, but we have a match that's ultimately meaningless in the scheme of things. Um, so, And then, yeah, as Wayne pointed out, WCW fighting each other. Nothing in this match made sense. It, it couldn't be followed. And the wrong guy won uh, if, if this match could have meant anything and it didn't i mean a year ago they they debuted this show and in much the same way we had the 60 man battle royal three rings through a split screen and we all quite rightly went this is shit that didn't work and to an extent to an extent as bad as idea as it was because they've done it before and it, you know whatever to an extent you'd go okay it didn't work like, I'll forgive you, just learn your lesson for next time. Twelve months roll around, they haven't learned their lesson. Right, so we got the same problems we had last year with the, the three-way split screen, and you can't follow anything, and the whole thing is a bit of a disaster and all of that. But I, I can I can ignore that in the grand scheme of the bigger problems of this match, right? About six months ago, a group formed called the New World Order, Headed by Hulk Hogan, flanked by Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and ever increasingly increasing size of, of, of support roles. In the six months that have followed, the group headlined by Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall have largely given reason to the entire WCW roster not to like them. 
segments like when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall beat up about six men um, while WCW was being filmed uh, at Disney Studios. Um, segments like, you know, the night after this show where they ran out and, and cost the Harlem Heat a tag match or something like that. And all of the other segments in between there where the NWO come out and either use the numbers advantage or not use the numbers advantage, as was the case where the Giant ran out to save the NWO from a three-on-eight beatdown that the NWO were winning back in September. But long story short, basically every single member of the WCW roster has a reason to have a gripe with the NWO. And every single member of the NWO roster has a reason to probably want to attack them. And a lot of the reasons, a lot of the time they can't. Reasons that never really make sense because the rest of them are all backstage. But apparently when the NWO are out, then nobody is able to run out. Okay. So you get segments on Nitro where the NWO are out, not many people, five, six, seven on one, two or whatever, and they beat fuck out of them. And you can kind of live with it. It's a TV angle. If we spent time splitting heads on that, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd be here for 10 hours a show. We get to this show, we get to this match, and they put the NWO in the match. And there's four of them. There's six, there's Kevin Nash, there's Giant, and there's Scott Hall. There are 56 men in this match that are not members of the NWO. 55, if you want to count, Darn Dallas Page, who's kind of half and half. Do you not think, because, because it's not like, it's not like all bets were off. This whole thing started with the Dungeon of Doom, the four horsemen, having a fight, because they're feuding, because that makes sense. But then the NWO get in the middle ring. And, you know, it might not have been, you know, we talk about the NWO getting over as baby faces. It might not have been the best move to have 56 guys gang up on four people. But it would have at least made some sense. But it wouldn't even have to have been 56. 10, 15 would have done. I'm not even, you know, I'm not even saying you had to eliminate them or beat fuck out of them or whatever. Just have them, the match starts and they all surround the NWO and the NWO go, I'm not having this and they walk off. Right, and the, and the critical thing to where this would have worked was, as, as we'll see at the end, the one reason, why, the one thing they get some credit for was how this match ended, or, or nearly get credit for. But you could have had it done where they'd have just attacked, they'd have just stood there, and they'd have gone, no, the numbers game is against us here, and it's going to be against us. We're going to bugger off, and they made a bugger off, and then you could have done the match exactly as you wanted it, and then you could have got down to one, two, three, or four, whatever, and provided the NWO hadn't reclined over the top rope when they left, they could have said we're still in the match, and it would have worked. Instead, instead, the match goes on for half an hour. And nobody gives a fuck. And nobody's pointing out that, you know, the NWO are just minding their own business in the middle of the ring. And none of the announcers are going, hang on a minute, why aren't these guys getting beaten up? Nobody's pointing this out. And nobody's got the, the nobody's got the kind of thinking and the, and, and the, 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 the detail, the attention to detail and the control of the storyline to go, actually guys, this isn't working. This doesn't make sense. And it's weird because like, People, I keep reading how good this angle is for business and how good, you know, this angle has been compared to the WWF. Imagine how good this angle would be if it was booked well. Imagine how good it would be if it was actually booked with an attention to detail that it probably deserved given the magnitude of what's going on. And instead we just get this baffling match where 55 guys beat fuck out of each other, but not out of the four guys that it would actually make sense of, at least some of them to gang up on, at least 15 of them, right? So we get this match, and we get down to five on five, or close enough, four on four, something like that. It might be four. I think it was, we got down to ten, and it was like, well, Paige's in there, and he's being courted by them, and it kind of makes sense. And I'm like, 
Okay, all right, I'll I'll forgive it, right? It didn't really make sense, but we're now down to an even numbers game. We don't want to do 55 on four because the NWO might end up as baby faces. Not that they're doing a particularly good job elsewhere controlling that, but that would have made sense. So we get down to five on five or whatever, even numbers game. And WCW start beating each other up. You're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and NWO just stood there. And it, it, it's like the coolest guys in the room just stand there and let everyone beat shit out of each other. And then we get down to Luger onto the NWO. You're like, bloody hell. We had 60 men in this match. 55 of them all had a reason to hate the NWO. But shock horror, the four NWO guys are still in the match. But I'm like, okay. Because it's like, there's, there's, there's one saving grace in this match. Or there would have been. And the one saving grace would have been, fuck all the logic. At least if we'd have got Alex Luger over, it would have been worth it. So we get down to one on four. And Luger rallies, and the crowd go with him, because they sat through 30 minutes of nothing, and in some ways they sat through two hours, 40 minutes of nothing, if you want to count this show. And they're like, there's a star here. And you're like, shit, Lex Luger's been wrestling for 10 years, for this moment. And it's like, okay, pull the trigger. And, And Lex Luger racks the giant, and the place explodes. And you're like, go on, Lex. I'm rooting for Lex Luger. I never thought I'd do that. You're like, this makes no sense. But if Lex Luger wins this match, the whole thing is a write-off. The whole thing works. And then Lex Luger gets down to, he eliminates six, he eliminates Hall, and you're like, go on, Lex, finish the job off. And then Giant eliminates him out. And you're just like, what the fuck's the point? Like, it just... Ah, Eric, help me out. Uh, Luger might as well have won this match by countout. You know, that's a, a little bit of a throwback to 93 SummerSlam, but I don't know what this guy did to, to piss off the booking committees in this various promotions where they just push him and push him and push him, and he gets over, and he gets over, and the fans get behind him for some unexplicable reason. Uh, he's almost like Sid or Ahmed Johnson over in the Fed for that reason. And then at the very last minute when they have an opportunity, probably even more here than, than WWF had back in 93, they had an opportunity to immediately create a credible challenger to Hogan, a credible foe for the NWO to carry this through for the next six months or so, uh, and they just blew it. And it's inexplicable. And it goes back to exactly what you said, Bob. There's no attention to detail. And it really feels like this, it's starting to feel at least like this whole NWO angle is just about getting the guys in the NWO over at the expense of everybody else. And that's, it's not going to work long term. Luger's a much more credible opponent, uh, for Hogan than Piper. Uh, it should have been Lugan versus, Luger versus Hogan at Starcade. That would have been a fantastic, uh, draw. Not a great match, probably, but a fantastic draw. Well, uh, it's and, not like Hogan and Piper's going to be a great match no, either. No, and we've seen that Hogan can 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 make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? With 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 a lot of guys who you wouldn't think so, you know, Warrior at at, uh, at WrestleMania six. That match should have been nothing, and it was one of the best matches of that of, of Hogan's entire WWF run from a psychological and from a from a drawing standpoint. So Hogan can can put a good match on with just about anybody. Uh, uh, it should have been Luger, uh, I'm, and, and that's the end of it. And, and the fact is, Luger doesn't win this match, so he gets his legs cut off. Giant wins this match. He's not going to challenge Hogan because they're both in the NWO. They're not going to turn Giant back so quickly because they just turned him. 
a couple of months ago. This match was was so pointless and such an insult to anybody who had anything invested in this. You know, uh, I'm just as I'm just as upset with you as you are, Bob, because it was just a waste of time. What? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all said our piece on the, on this match, and yeah, the fact that. Uh, um, Luger was uh, had the crowd eating out the palm of his hand when he uh, when he when he picked Giant up for uh, for, for the rack, uh, and you know you, that's where it should have uh, that's where it should have ended. He, he should have took on the whole of NWO, um, you know, eliminated them all, and then gone for gone for Hogan. I would have even bought into this storyline what's going on with DDP, um, and some some. Um, where shape or form DDP picks up the win and that continues the storyline of is he a part is he not a part um, you know and then you know he, he goes for, for Hogan at Starcade I, I would have gone but, for but going for DDP would have involved trying to get someone over and they don't seem to be in that business right now yeah well t- yeah when you put it like that I was, uh, it probably would yeah yeah, I, I, I agree actually. Yeah, it just makes more sense just going for, uh, for Luger. And, and, and as Eric says, it's, uh, it's just a, a case of, uh, of NWO just, uh, just taking the shine to, to make themselves look good and, and, and nobody else. Because I, I can understand, you know, NWO not being in the match would have made a lot of sense, but I can kind of understand why they did it. Like, you know, NWO not being in the match would have deprived them of four of the biggest names in the match. And this is one of those matches where you just have a lot of people that don't mean anything. And they do anyway. So I can I can understand why they went, actually, let's put these guys in, because otherwise there's nobody really to play off. But they didn't play off anyone. Like, as I say, I, I think the the best way to do it would have been to have them walk out the start of the match, then let everyone else tear each other down, because the NWO have left, because they, they're just gone. The numbers game's too big for us. And you, and you like to think 56 on four. You like to think that Hulk Hogan wouldn't have come out and saved the NWO from a four on 56 beatdown that they were already winning, but never ruled it out. But if they'd have gone to the back, then you could have explained 56 guys not attacking them because they'd have seen them off in a babyface way. Because babyfaces don't beat up people 56 on four. But they would have said, look, we've got the numbers game here. Get out or we might beat you up. Then they would have gone, you know what, these numbers are against us. We're going to leave. And then you could have got down to whoever. You could have got down to Luger. You could have given Luger this massive pot for winning, having got through the other 55 guys. And then had the NWO guys come back out and say, we didn't go through this, over the top rope. We're still in this match. And then you've got Luger trying to fight off four guys. And then he could have fought them off. How big is Lex Luger if that happens? Like, yeah, like that's... Uh, you won't, you're not doing Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan at Starcade if you book Lex Luger like that. He looks like a fucking hero if you book him like that. And instead we just got what we got and it's just like, you, just get someone, I'll do it. Get someone on the WCW creative team, booking committee, just to sit there and, and his sole purpose is to basically fact-check the NWO angle and, and logic-check it and go, this is what we've got booked out. Does this make sense? Yes. Does this make sense? No. Here's how you can rework it to get exactly the same place where you want to go, but in a way that doesn't completely insult the people that are watching, and doesn't completely blow the, the, you know, the, uh, the credibility of the angle. And instead, we just got what we got, and it's like, you know, have some... 
have some thought about this. Like, this is your big angle. Put some time into it. Make it work. Instead, we just get this nonsensical thing. You know, you could have come out and you could have had, you know, you could have said, the damage that the NWO have done to Roddy Piper, he is no longer clear to compete at Starcade. And then Hulk Hogan says, great, I've got no match for Starcade. I'm going. Lex Luger says, hang on, mate, I've got a match. And then you've got five weeks, four or five weeks, to build up Lex Luger versus Hulk Hogan, which is about the easiest storyline to write in the world. You can feed, you know, they mentioned WrestleMania on WCW pay-per-view last month. You can mention Luger was primed to be the next Hogan and how that didn't work. And you can spin it in a way that says that Luger wasn't given the same set of opportunities. You can write all of this different stuff surrounding how people thought Luger was the next Hogan, but he's not the next Hogan, he's better than that. And you can have this blockbuster main event. The match probably wouldn't be that good, but, you know, Hulk Hogan, we're not talking about work right here when we're giving Hulk Hogan the belt. We're talking about drawing power. You have this big match with this really over baby fans who gets this heel that people genuinely want to boo. And then book what you like at Star K, but it's just I don't know, it's it, it's quite deflating. It's quite deflating to watch the other side and see WWF go with Sid because they've got something. Now admittedly, WWF are in a position where they've got a lot less choice, they've got a champion that's not particularly over, etc, etc. But it's like, how was Giant a better option here? Unless they're going to turn Giant back, or turn him, because he never really turned Babyface. He got close. Unless they're going to turn Giant into full-on Babyface. But even then, I don't think that makes sense. I think now Giant's in the NWO. To take him out of there now would do damage to just about everybody. And that includes the NWO, that includes Giant, and it probably includes people like Luger and Paige and people like that are trying to climb as baby faces. Now Giant's a heel, you've got to live with the consequences of the decision you made two months ago. Fine, deal with it. You want to turn Giant, turn him in the middle of next year. We've now got this match that may not even happen. And I think, Eric, you touched on it, that's probably the most galling thing of all about this, is that Giant holding the, the world title shot probably means there isn't going to be one. Um, I mean, there is, they are going to do the NWO pay-per-view, so I guess they could do Giant and Hogan in the main event. I mean, God knows how that would come across with them both being on the same side. you kind of got this man holding a title shot that he doesn't want to use. And it sounds like Piper's got the next two months wrapped up. It just feels like Hogan's going to go nowhere on top, which is not good for anybody. I, I don't know. I've said my bit. I could go on for longer, but, you know, let's not. Wayne, overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. Uh, well, it was a solid undercard, uh, weak mid-card and, and disastrous main event, but, um, so yeah, so that, that's, that being said, I'll, uh, I'll give it a four, uh, four and a half. Alright. Uh, for me it was Sherry Parker and the triangle tag and then a whole bunch of nothing. And, and those two matches are, are not enough. Uh, two out of ten, uh, just a completely forgettable show. Yeah, um, you know, uh, two years ago, if you'd have put Malenko and Psychosis in the middle of some of those cards, it would have been the best match of a night, and it would have been a... You might have even said it might have saved the show, but, like, for one, it's it's a weird backhanded compliment to say they've, they've raised the bar so high that now just good technical wrestling that has nobody invested is actually a negative on the show. Um but yeah, there's nothing redeeming on this show, really. I mean, my my highlights from this show were the triangle tag match, which worked because it was uncoordinated, not in spite of it. And Nick Patrick, 
and it's like, yeah, this pay-per-view format doesn't work. Their booking direction right now doesn't work. I don't think. Um, yeah, two and a half for me, I would say. You want to know why the NWO wants Diamond Dallas Page finally in the NWO? It's simple. They're trying to build a dynasty. And what better way to do it than to stick the guy with the B-A-double-D baddest finish on the planet, the Diamond Cutter. You know, I don't... Just a second. Settle down here, Paige, because I couldn't get a straight answer from you last night. I want some answers tonight. I want them. These people want them. Number one, is it not a fact that you are a good friend of Scott Hall of the NWO? I think it's pretty obvious. Everybody's seen it. I was the guy who brought him in. I managed him. Yeah, we go back a little bit of time. Is it not a fact that you also have a very close relationship with Kevin Nash of the Outsiders? My ex-tag team, my first tag team partner. You know, but that's that's not here nor there. You know, I, I've got another one for you. Another, there's another it, thing, there's a lot of things happening right now. Wait a minute. Hold on. Is it not a fact that the man that lives right across the street is the guy that, one of the, the, the rats that just jumped off the ship the other night, Eric Bischoff, is he your neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. That's it? Yeah? And you tell me you're not going with the NWO? Who are you trying to kid? Let's put it like this, Gene. Eric Bischoff and I go back farther than any of us. I thought I knew him better than I knew anybody. I just never knew. I just never knew where he was going during this. I feel maybe look like a moron not knowing what was happening. All right, I thank you. You still are. Hey, what it all comes down to is I wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. Tony and Larry start us off on November the 25th, confirming the signed contract for Piper versus Hogan, build the showing from Luger last night, and introduce the US title tournament. Arn Anderson's out in another classic horseman shirt to face Lex Luger, who works a bandage double A. The bell rings as both are on the outside. The ref then counts and calls for the bell. Again, WCW. Bischoff leads the NWO to the ring and talks about his reasons for joining the army. He says everyone has 30 days to convert their WCW contracts to NWO ones. Mark Bagwell accepts, throwing Scotty Riggs under the bus. Diamond Dallas pays and gets a quick win over Disco Inferno before Mean Gene rehashes Diamond's promo from last week. Steve Regal defends his TV title against Tony Pena before we hear from Rick Steiner who nails his WCW colours to the mast. We get a new NWO video with Hall and Nash hocking their new outsider shirt and our one's main event sees Eddie Guerrero beat Conan with a very be- messy powerbomb reverse finish. Bischoff is in the NWO which now means we get two hours of Shivoni. Jimmy Hart leads out by Rogers to face Rick Steiner who questions how trustworthy Sting was on his thingies on his way to the ring. Midway through, Sting makes his way down from the rafters through the crowd and with a distraction of a hall, nails Rick with this new reverse DDT. Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis get a watered-down version of their ECW match with Ray winning. We then get probably Chris Benoit's best ever live promo with him and woman dressed in civvies as they discuss Sullivan. We then get the entire 15-minute Piper Hogan segment from last week's show. Psychosis and Mysterio got three, who are keeping score. 
Jarrett gets a quick, very quick win over Alex Wright with a figure four, given the assist from the bottom rope. He's now basically a heel again. In the main event, the Harlem Heat go up against Megan the Barbarian, but the NWO do a run-in. Bagwell now seems fully-fledged. Giant chokes Lance Booker, Meng, and they pose down to pelts of trash as we go off the air. Thing. I love that sign up there, NWO for life. I love you guys. You hit. You know, back in Baltimore in June, I got jackknifed through a stage by one of the most powerful men on the planet. And the next day I woke up and I could still wiggle my toes and feel my fingers. And I asked myself one very important question. Do I want to be consumed by the power or do I want to become part of the force? You guys know what I mean back there. A couple days later, Mr. Paul, Mr. Nash, myself, we got together. We had a little summit. We did some talking, we did some thinking, we did some planning. And what we really did is we decided to consolidate power because, get this, not only am I the highest-ranking executive in the NWO, I'm the highest-ranking executive in WCW. What a wonderful country. So here's the deal. Listen up in the back, back in a locker room. Because you guys at WCW have 30 days from right now to convert your WCW contracts to NWO contracts. Does he mean announcement? We are going to build a dynasty. I don't know. You got it. That's the deal. 30 days from right now, because at 30 days in one minute, you're either with us or you're against us. And by the way, Mr. Piper, as the highest-ranking executive in WCW, now that you've signed the match to meet Hogan at Starcade in Nashville, here's the deal. Watch yourself real close, because I can and I will find you if you get out of hand. Is this too much or what? And one more discussion. Why is that note two? Two more discussion points to finish off this show. Wayne, what the hell was that Roddy Piper music video on Nitro? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I don't know what, why they put... I mean, obviously they give reason to it, um, saying because they just got that one one snippet of uh, um, of that advertisement of uh, of Roddy Piper versus versus Hogan and saying that you know Roddy Piper's this is what he's, he's been hanging on for, but you know it just doesn't make any sense to me putting that music video on. I mean, you know, I got to see Roddy Piper, you know, as uh, as, as I said to you off her, you know, it's good to see that he's, uh, that he's in shape, whether he's in that shape now, four years down the line remains to be seen. But, uh, but yeah, just throwing it on there was, uh, was a bit out of the blue and, and just doesn't make sense at all. But the angle on Nitro, we've been, a bloke just walks up to the announce team. You know, obviously it's a storyline, but like nobody stops him and then just hands them an envelope. And nobody got, like, 
where was security? Like, you know, that doesn't make sense, but screw that. So the, he hands in the video and, and Shironi says, yeah, we'll, we'll give it to the guys in the back. They'll have a look. If it's worth showing, it's worth showing. I then question the logic that says the guys in the back watched that and went, yeah, this is, this is better than a main event. We'll, we'll show this instead. And then Eric, where the hell they got this video from? I've no idea. Because it's clearly not Piper now. His hair's too short. It's clearly from a few years ago, and I think he's in noticeably better shape a few years ago as well. But where they got this video from, I've got no idea. That video was the stuff fever dreams are made of, Bob. Uh, I... it was like they, they built it up that it was going to be this Apruder film or that, you know, there was going to be more footage of the JFK assassination or something like that, you know, something really substantive. And it comes out that Piper in a music video from, was it Germany? Uh, from many, many years ago, uh, you know, four or five years ago when Piper was still arguably in his prime and Piper's advertising him versus Hogan. Uh, and that's somehow evidence uh, that Piper has been dreaming of a match between him and Hogan uh, for the better part of a decade. It was it. It made Piper look like an idiot, and and, and, it, and it. I don't know. I, it left left me speechless. Uh, I can't. I can't understand it. I don't. I don't know how the announcer sold it. I don't know why anybody thought it was a good idea to show that. There would have been a hundred different ways to get over the fact that Piper has been thinking of a match with Hogan uh, for, you know, for 10 years. And they, they picked a, a cheesy music video with a lip-syncing Roddy Piper from 1992. Uh, that's WCW. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say for once. It's just, uh, just really weird. Like, who watched that? Yeah, this will help. This is this is this is the this is the kind of stuff we show when we're talking about the match of the decade. Show a music video from earlier decade, and it's like, yeah, way to way to remind us that Piper was already old four years ago, and now even older. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I thought I mentioned it. it was it was the song that played us in at the start of the show. Anyway, main discussion topic uh, for the end of the show. Uh, is Eric Bischoff. Now, we mentioned this a fair bit during the show anyway, but I wanted to say properly to the end. Story goes that, amongst other things, and I kind of suspect there's a far bigger reason here, given that the reason that people are saying just makes no sense. The thing people are saying is that Eric Bischoff has joined the NWO is because they're going to make the first hour of Nitro NWO non-day Nitro because, as I said, well, I, I tried to say on September's show and they couldn't really hear me. As I tried to say on September's show, the NWO hour on Nitro in September was dreadful. So, of course, they watched that and went, I know, we'll put this up against Raw every week. That's a good idea. So the plan is that the NWO will go up against Raw because people want to see the NWO more than they want to see WCW. I don't think they've quite got that the right way around. But anyway, and Eric Bischoff wants to be on commentary and Vince McMahon is on air, basically so he can move things around on the fly. He can watch Raw on a monitor, he can see what's going on, he can see where Raw's on a break, etc, etc. And obviously, because it's NWO, the, the act of NWO commentators, even though, as we kind of saw on the NWO hour of Nitro, there is a way of doing it. You could just have the NWO say, no, Eric, we're gonna, we want, you're, you're the ringleader, we're going to keep you here hostage just so that you do everything and say everything we say. 
that is apparently the reason I just get the feeling that Eric Bischoff is like, actually, this angle's quite cool. I want to hang around with the cool kids. Let's put me in with the cool kids. And as everyone's kind of saying, well, this was Ted DiBiase's role, and now it kind of seems a bit redundant. Um, Wayne, I mean, I, I guess if we're if we're giving him credit, Bischoff seems like a far more natural babyface, uh, far more natural heel than he does a babyface. We said that earlier on. But the whole thing just kind of was flat. Like the angle, which in theory, the angle of Eric Bischoff, you know, and, and and what's weird, and this is a weird thing, is that they not really mentioned Eric Bischoff as the executive vice president or whatever he's called, uh, uh, president or vice president. They not really mentioned Eric Bischoff in that role on Nitro. If you watch Nitro every week, Eric Bischoff's just the lead announcer. He's not He's not a guy that has sway backstage. He's too baffled about things that are going on and have any kind of power in terms of how he's presented off screen. So Eric Bischoff randomly comes down to the ring for an in-ring segment, which doesn't make any sense anyway, because he never does that. And then the whole angle... Wayne, I thought it was a bit weak. Like, just Bischoff hugging Hogan, it was all a bit flat for what should have been, in theory, quite an important story point. Yeah, it was, well, like you just said, it was it was weak and flat, and that's best describing it, because uh, that's uh, that's exactly what it was. You know, if if you're going to turn someone like Bischoff, um, and, I mean, you know, that's that's a turn in itself, as, as you put it. The guy's just the guy's just a commentator, um, you know, coming through the screen, and you know, the, and, and if you're going to do something like that, then it should be costing a match. Should be, you know, whether he, he costs Piper a match or something like that. I don't know. You know, he does all this to, to get Piper to go against NWO. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm I'm obviously trying to take over the book, and when when I should just leave it well alone because no one can understand uh, WCW NWO booking. Um, but um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it it just didn't a it didn't make any sense. It come out of nowhere. We've been leading up to. We've not even been leading up to it. Um, and then uh, and then it, it happens where the NWO come in and and he just does some does you know just like you said just hugs organ. It's just like I was sat there watching it thinking, what I just. I was confused more than anything, and it's uh, you know it was it, like best described as you put it, flat and weak. All right. It should have been a huge angle, and uh, of course it was obvious that WCW put no uh, no no pre planning, no foresight into this into this turn, and in a sense hot shotted it. Um, you know, putting a positive spin on this as as it's challenging, but if we if we work under the assumption that since July uh, when he got power bombed through the table uh, by Nash, that Bischoff has been working with the NWO, it does kind of help to explain a lot of the questionable booking and, and the, the assignment of Nick Patrick and all these important NWO matches. And it now helps to explain why all the NWO guys might have been in the same ring during World War Three. I, I like how that's the bit they've paid attention to. The bit that just about made sense anyway. The bit that, well, how do they keep getting in the building? Well, they are contracted wrestlers like, <laughs> right. that, that bit made just about enough sense to me like you know they they were signed and then they turned up and were like shit well it's too late now well technically we can't actually stop them coming in unless we fire them right, like, I, right. I like how that was the attention to detail they planned carry on oh, there's uh, attention to detail and that's painting with broad brushes obviously 
you know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to go along for the ride here. I don't, you know, I don't think any of us watch wrestling to, to have it upset us. And, and this is, this is clearly a, a, an angle which has not been thought through. It's, it's been hot shotted and it, it does appear that Bischoff just wants to be part of the in crowd. Um, you know, looking at it, looking at it positively, it could help to explain some of the, some of the history, but, but really, uh, unless WCW, uh, as, you know, WCW, the, the group that's opposing the NWO, can can do something to to increase their stake in this in this role. It sure seems like Bischoff being in charge of the NWO is the ultimate trump card, and I don't know what, where WCW goes from here. This should have been a long term build. It should have been a, a major reveal on a major show or a major Nitro, which was hyped over the course of weeks or months, and it just wasn't. And like everything else, it was like the giant turn. Uh, for example, it was. It was, it was done too quickly and without enough fanfare, and I think it'll it'll uh, hurt them in the long run because they're running out of they're running out of, uh, of 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 tricks up their sleeve. I think. Yeah, funnily enough, like the the, the idea of him being in the NWO long term, as in him joining them down the line, actually, I don't necessarily hate. Um, as he's quite a vanilla babyface announcer, um, and more the point that as we say as much as there is enough logic with regards to the nwo how they get around etc having someone on the inside whether they've referenced it or not having someone on the inside that was helping them out you know in terms of getting hold of microphones getting security to you know get getting be able to set up merch stands and stuff like that that kind of makes sense i think it's just more that one, the whole thing doesn't seem to have been very well thought out. And I, I, I said that about the NWO angle as a whole, as much as I said that about the um, the Bischoff turn. And two, it should be a major plot point. And it should be a major plot point that you're, you know, you're te- not teasing, but like, and this is where I talk about attention to detail. Try and as best you can, lay the groundwork for it over the course of two or three months. In some way, shape or form, try and lay the groundwork of, you know, there's someone on the inside helping the NWO out. We don't know who it is, but we need to find it. And the classic thing of Bischoff could be the guy on screen who leads that quote-unquote charge to find the mole that's making all of this work. And because it all makes sense, because in the end, it turns out it was Bischoff. That would make so much more sense than this random thrown out there angle. I didn't necessarily hate the the explanation on Nitro the night after. I got power bombed. I woke up in the morning. I felt like death, but I'm like, well, I'm not dead. And it's like, well, you know, Bischoff having been pushed around by these guys for five or six weeks, maybe thought, actually, maybe it's a better idea to be with these guys than to be against them. That kind of makes sense. I, you know, I don't, I don't hate that logic, but it's like this is a big angle, and and one, you know, again, I think it would have made more sense had they have established that Bischoff was on screen, that Bischoff was in this role that he was, he's actually in backstage, and they haven't done a very good job of that, and it's all a bit kind of flat, and I just, you know, it, it just doesn't really work. But as I say, I, I think that. Bischoff seems like quite a natural heel, which is a good thing. Um, and everything else just kind of fell into place. And it's just like, okay, now what? Like, now we've got 
you know, now Shivoni's going to be presenting our number two, I think, something like that. I, I just got a funny feeling NWR is going to be a disaster. I mean, it's it comes back to everything I've said about this angle since, well, not day one, but since probably the end of August. The NWO works best when it's NWO constantly pushing the line of what they can get away with, but constantly being pushed back because it's the NWO. And it's why why the NWO works in a way as a small group, because in a small group, it made sense that they could be this conniving group of guys. Now, we've got the problem with them as a small group getting over as baby faces. But guess what? We've got a problem with them as a big group getting over as baby faces. And that's another problem. But... It worked best when it was a, a, a group of invading guys trying to see what they can get away with. How does that translate to a, an hour of NWO Monday Nitro? Because we saw that hour in September, and the match quality was awful. There was nothing on those matches. Ratings went down, I think. I have to go back and check my September notes. Ratings went down, I believe. And the whole thing wasn't very good. And we're talking about a pay-per-view for the NWO in January. And we've seen on WCW Saturday Night regarding having NWO referees and NWO matches. It's like, no, no, when, when the NWO are 100% of the whole, then what, what am I tuning in for? Because the NWO isn't inherently a great group. It's a great group because it's pushing up against WCW. When WCW aren't there, you, we, it, hope's lost at that point. There's nothing for me to be invested in. It's just, uh, it's just drab, and that's why I don't. That's why I feel like Bischoff, Bischoff turning now, I think, is a terrible idea. Maybe in six months' time, if you've got Lex Luger over as this mega babyface in this parallel universe, and you've got WCW working this angle where they're they're, they're picking off the NWO and they're outsmarting them. Maybe at that point, then Bischoff is this big reveals the guy that's been helping everyone out, and everyone loses a bit of hope. Because right now they've got no hope to lose. When Bischoff turned, it wasn't, oh my god, another big puzzle piece of the NWO. It was, oh, just, uh, just Bischoff wants to hang around with his friends and wants to be part of this cool angle. Wait, Wayne, any more thoughts or we uh, finish up? No, I think we've, uh, I think we've said it all on that one. Eric? Oh, Bob, great summary. That'll finish that. Uh, Wayne is good. Wayne, thank you very much for, for, for coming. It's been a few months since you've been away. Uh, in many ways, not much has changed. In many ways, a lot has changed. You, know, I was to- you told me uh, in about the last two weeks, you've watched, I think, three months' worth of Nitro and WCW pay-per-views. More, more power to you for going through that. Thank you. Uh, what do you think about that? That just that barrage of Nitro, one after another. Like, I have enough trouble kind of watching it one by one. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's all jumbled into to, together, but uh, I, you could probably say that about the booking, in all honesty, because uh, every, everything's just pretty much been been the same. Um, swap Savage for, for Piper. Uh, what has been good is, is seeing the introductions of, uh, you know, people like Chris Jericho, um, seeing Nick Patrick turn into into the character he is at the moment, you know, if, uh, if we're to focus on the positives. But, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I was going in with... Um, so the last show I did was obviously Bash at the Beach, which was the formation of the the NWO. But I know, and I was going in for the for the next few months, thinking, you know, I'm going to be, you know, going to be quite excited to to, to see. And then I, I saw uh, Virgil 
make an appearance and, and join the join the faction and uh fucking and I thought, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> oh man, I mean like this, I <laughs> Eric, this is meant to be a great story. I, we're, we're we're in two thousand sixteen now. This is meant to be a great storyline, isn't it? Like well, am I just looking at this too hard? Am I looking at this in the wrong set of eyes? Am I meant to be a child that's just getting swept away and all of this? Because it's like, no, this like too much of this stuff doesn't work. I mean, I know it ends up getting over if it's not already, but it's like too much of this doesn't work right now. Well, not, fortunately, not much has changed because when I was eight, nine, ten years old watching this stuff, I thought oh, this doesn't make sense. You know, why is this person doing that? And now near 30 year old me has the same feeling so 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 nothing much has changed you know have you guys know the story about why they brought in virgil right um uh i know just to call him vincent i was gonna say was that it well what i've heard was that uh it was supposed to be charles wright so comma uh papa shango come in to be the, the the big heavy for the nwo and and what i've heard was that virgil got a hold of, of, of somebody over at WCW and undercut what Wright had negotiated as as pay by a significant amount, and so they hired Virgil to save money and and said no thank you to to Charles Wright, and so that that, <laughs> that, that been does that does sound like bullshit. That does sound like bullshit. I'm just I'm just telling you what I what I've heard, Bob. So okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, so that that's that's possibly an explanation why why. By, by Virgil's in, but that's neither here nor there. The NWO is just as ridiculous 20 years uh, later as it was 20 years ago. I mean, I hope it gets better. I mean, in theory, it's going to culminate in about 13 months' time, but, I, I yeah, it can't be any worse, can it? We can't have more months of just storytelling this <clears throat> bad, I don't know. Uh, Eric Lanston, thank you very much, Eric. Thanks, Bob. Uh, people can find you on Twitter. Yep, I'm at, at Modern Day Lawyer. Uh, Less politics and more sports these days. Excellent. Good to know. And Wayne, let's go. Yeah, I can be found on WayneL84. Excellent, excellent. And a quick reminder, as always, if you, uh, you know, if you'd like to sponsor these rants and me, you know, going through the ups and the oh and the downs of, of wrestling in the mid-90s, we have now joined Patreon for five months of Five bucks a month, you can get early access to shows like these. Our, our ECW show went up about two weeks before everyone else would have got access to it. Um, and yeah, or if you just want to say thank you for us in a excruciating amount of detail going through all of these shows and mostly bad at the moment, um, or just for filling your, your lives with six, seven, eight hours of podcasts a month, patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs, wrestling20rs.com. Links are on there, and they're also in the description. Anyway, four volumes for you this month. Volume 1 takes us to Survivor Series. Yes, we also get to cover in detail the uh, Scott Hall, the uh, Steve Austin, Brian Pillman angle from Raw, Steve Austin versus Bret Hart, and the Sid title victory over on that show. Volume number three, ECW. November to remember, a lot of things to say about that show, including the formation of the BWO, which was significantly more entertaining than the NWO stuff I watched this month. And in volume number four, we take a trip away from wrestling and away from MMA. Uh, as I pretend to know what I'm on about when we're talking boxing, 
as November 1996 was the first Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield fight. I watched that earlier today, actually. Quite good. Um, I went in kind of having read enough about it or having read bits to think it wasn't a very good fight. But on the contrary, we'll discuss that in volume number four. So you'd like to hear us talk about boxing and please do feedback on, on that kind of show. If it, if it gets enough feedback, we might do some more. We're certainly lining up Tyson Holyfield too, anyway. Um, but yeah, that'll do that. Um, you can website wrestling20whereas.com. We're on iTunes. Leave us a rating or review there. Subscribe. Everything's on the website. You know the drill these days. Um, and yeah, I have been Bob Bamber. This has been volume two of the November 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.